welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast. I almost had it unerringly that time. What was that? Yeah, basically. All right. Well, anyway, this is the podcast from Doof Media, where we talk about Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. I am your host, Stephen Zuber. I'm Brian Deacon. We talk about Methods of Rationality sometimes. Yeah. Like most of what we talk about has to do with the book. Yeah. Let's let's say it's uh, most of what we talk about has to do with the book <laughs> the and the methods of rationality. The plurality of this podcast is about the methods of rationality. <laughs> and the other twenty five percent of the podcast is us talking about other things, like the intro and what we talk about. And let's see, I wanted to point out a couple things. So I mentioned I put a little postscript pre sound bite in the beginning of the last episode. I totally missed the launch of uh, Game Club, um, but I put a link to it in the description for last week's episode. So anyone wants to check it out, totally can. Next Game Club, they are doing Transmission, and that comes out Saturday, uh, June 6th, I think. Well, Saturday or Sunday, whatever June 6th is. And other than that, as far as uh, Doof news, you were on playing Left 4 Dead last night. Doof and Chill, Left 4 Dead. Yeah. I was terrible at it. I didn't want to be the one to say it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's good to know that first-person shooters on the Quake engine haven't really changed much, though. Yeah, it, it was, uh, and you know, watching, I watched the gameplay for, I don't know, a couple hours last night, then watched the last half hour this morning when you guys were doing verses, and that was hilarious. But uh, I got to say, I think that they... It's super boring being a zombie in verses. I think that they've, uh, they've upped the AI right since this came out in, like, what, 2010 or 11 or 12 or whatever? Mm-hmm. Because in back in back in my day, when it was new, that game was crazy easy to play. How was it? And I don't know what they've done since, but it is now... Like I, w- I would watch the 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 AI enemies coordinate and like totally just bone you. Yeah, guys. yeah, and they would like they could sneak up behind you like in a way that wasn't just like oh walking straight at you and yeah, yeah. And it took me like forty five minutes before I even like got a hang of like the controls and what you were doing. All three of them. I know. <laughs> Point <see>. click. There's <laughs> like people you have to like fall down and and. Click, yeah, I, I got the like point and shoot part of it fairly quickly. I'm giving you a hard time, uh, but no, it was fun. So yeah, don't forget to do cool. Doof and Chills every month as well, and those are also on the calendar at doofmedia.com/slash/calendar. Oh, were you able, were you able to see Matthias's uh, skins on the? I guess he. I wasn't able to see it, but he got like uh, Velociraptors or something instead of zombies. And well, so I think the zombies were aliens, zombies, zombies. and you guys were Velociraptors. Uh, okay, I, and I'm not sure if he posted his video or not. It was in Discord at the time. Um, I'm not even sure if he recorded it, but I'll, I guess uh, we'll find out. And if it is, anyone who's listening can find it on the, uh, I think it's just called Doof and Chill, the channel on yeah. the Discord at Doof Media. So do check that out. Throw them slash us a buck to join there. But, I mean, Discord isn't all you get. You get all kinds of other cool stuff, which you can find at Doof or at uh, patreon.com slash Doof Media. This episode brought to you by Doof. <laughs> I know. I'm like, did you really have to do the little announcer? flare at the end of that okay not i you know right. it um, i yeah. i'm winging it i think you <laughs> mentioned that like because they did they recorded the first episode of uh pale reflections last night which is wild bo's new story and their doof media's uh podcast on it and they were like oh yeah our, our 10 page script and you're like you guys have a script and we i know yeah we I'm have like, oh, we should try that we have notes i swear no we we, we really have notes but we don't have a I'm script so when you're asking if i had I to do that i mean i like just sort of i just start a sentence and see where it takes me man 
Yeah, I mean, I can't. It would probably be good if we could be like together enough to have a script, but I can't. Once I'm at a script, then I am already bored with my own sentence, and you will hear it in my voice. I think I'd have and, a hard time like, reading everything I write verbatim. I have a hard enough yeah. time reading as it is. So I haven't heard a lot of people complain like about our, my our stuff, so we're going to just keep doing what we're doing. There you go. Hope everyone's having fun with it. It's like an organic process, man. Yeah, man. This is the this is how you get the original organic, no hormones or additives added podcast. <laughs> oh no, I'm juicing right now. <laughs> I am watering. Yeah, I, water. I, I got I got water here. That's about it. All right. So what else have we got here? This is gonna be the best segue ever. We have chapters sixty-two and sixty-three. This was a lot of a lot of words. How are we on word count? I told week. you it was, it was, it was a, lot. a lot of words. I was close yeah. to 20,000, but it was either going to be shove 62 into the last episode yeah. or uh, like... Yeah, you couldn't really split it. Yeah, put it into this yeah. one. So um, it was a lot of word count and a lot of stuff happened. So we'll try our best to get through it yeah. as, as uh, thoroughly as possible. You but, should probably quit fucking around. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so at a high level, this is kind of just like the, the come down from yeah. the last insane dozen chapters. And... Brian, what were your overall yeah, thoughts on these ones? Uh, I thought it felt like th- this is going to be a metaphor that works on like two people listening, but like guys, I grew up playing poker in my family, like with my grandparents and shit. I was so was jealous. Brutal. And it was pretty cool, but also kind of like they, they were not at all averse to taking the money from a 12 year old, but, <laughs> um, which then it's like payback when my grandmother got to be 85 and couldn't quite see the difference between a club and a spade anymore. That's about, oh, I'm that's sorry. You thought you had a flush, girl. <laughs> Sucks to suck. Uh, but anyway, what it reminded me of, like, so there's, and this is like this phenomenon that's probably more of like a family poker thing than, than in like regular poker in a casino. Because like when it's family and you like semi trust each other, like you're willing to do all this weird like IOU and going light. We call it going light. You're basically borrowing against the pot. There's a whole this whole complicated like accounting that goes on at the end of the night and, and because like one person is the bank and so they're sitting on like a $20 bill and like you know three four dollar bills and like everybody's got to get their money back and so this whole like okay I need my money back thing the cashing out process is this like involved weird process of like coming to accounts for all the weird shit that happened all night especially because you're also like tired because um, grandma's been up to like two in the morning Losing her money. Um, and she can't I don't know where I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, and it's where the grandma could like like the more scotch grandma had, the longer she could stay up. But um, that that was like the vibe to all these aftermaths. Is like okay, all of this weird shit has been happening, and now we have to like we're like going to each person like settling accounts. Like okay, this is where we ended up. This this is where we ended up with that. That I like the better metaphor. The, the other thing it reminded me of was just the end of the Lord of the Rings. We're just like, fuck, are we not done yet? Jesus. Which <laughs> it was like, how long is this ending? Luckily, this isn't When are we going to kill Wormtongue and just be done? Oh, man. Yeah, this, this one's not, not so bad. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. I mean, it reminded me that, like, oh, we got, we got like, so many um, just strands that were tying together at the end. So it wasn't actually as, like, boring as that, which is funny that, like, this, like, super revered book has kind of an infamously boring ending but i imagine it'd be kind of a drag i actually never made it through the less infamously boring beginning i let's see when the movies are coming out i was in sixth grade and i was trying to read the fellowship and i got i don't know a bit past tom bombadil and i remember it was like taking (laughs) me like a couple more weeks to like keep trying to slog through this my dad was kind of hounding me he's like i want to go see this movie i like these books and i was like i want to read the book first 
And Tom Bombadil is like the example I go to for like, oh, you should have had an editor. Cause, and that's why Tom Bombadil is not in the movies, because you can completely remove him from the entire story and the plot changes zero. They're making this, a Wheel of Time TV series, and I'm looking forward to them chopping out a lot of that fat. Because <laughs> like, there, there, are, there are a lot, I mean, thousands of words of characters that, like you, again, you, you, you lose them and literally nothing changes. Yeah. And yeah, and it's weird because like there's something like, oh, that wasn't very major. We could write around that a little bit. You know, there's this little bit of plot advancement that we have to account for this taking on. The Tom Bombadil stuff, you could just literally, you just exit out entirely and nothing changes. Like there's no, when you were, you've done a complete loop and come back to where you started and then you leave and it's like it never happened. Oh my God, speaking of doing a complete loop and coming back to where we started, we were at the beginning of chapter 62. <laughs> Am I getting good at segues? All right. But you got to do it with the voice. That's right. So that people don't take us seriously. <laughs> Radio announcer voice. All right. So we open up with a McGonagall POV as we ended the last one with where she summoned Harry to her office to uh, test his time turner. Yeah, we were sort of like coming in on the semi cliffhanger of like, oh, how's this going to work? And I got to admit, like I had completely forgotten, like, uh, I guess it was probably put in kind of subtly, but I thought it was fucked and I didn't know how we were going to work through this. But so, yeah, we open up with we know that Harry's about to get busted and. Um, but we're kind of in McGonagall's head uh, before he shows up. And I thought it was really interesting. She's feeling like, so she's just sort of internally hemming and hawing about worrying that Harry is basically, you know, is being put up against Voldemort now and that it's just not fair to Harry and that he's going to get hurt. And thinking she's thinking back on what it was like for her when she was that age. And so she's just basically sort of like scared and pissed off on behalf of Harry for everything that's you know, that he's about to get involved in. Yeah. Um, I also like there was a little opening bit because it, it's kind of leading into the the line where when Dumbledore literally was frozen in place with fear and he says, if Harry Potter and Voldemort fight their war with muggle weapons, there'll be nothing left of the world but fire. And she's remembering how she got an outstanding on her muggle studies newt and mm-hmm. then like looking back as an adult, she's like, oh yeah, it was some blood purist prick and they didn't even know, like they didn't tell us where clocks came from because they, they were embarrassed that muggles invented them and that sort of stuff. Um, there was that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, I, you the know. Hour, hourglass fueled bells. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, that's not really plot relevant. It's just a kind of a fun little thing that, yeah. like, it's it's, it's more gener- general than just, like, uh, her education. It was the, as the, like, you look back and be like, man, I thought I knew stuff, and I thought, like, getting the good grade was important, but it turns out I didn't know shit. And that's just kind of a fun moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's reflecting on when she saw Voldemort during the war. Uh, I think it says four times. Yeah, four times. Yeah. Three with Dumbledore and once with Moody, I think. Yeah. 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 I thought it was interesting. Like, we get to see, like, whenever we get into her head, we kind of get this consistent view from her of just, like, her fondness for Harry and vice versa. Like, we, we've had this, like, really consistent, you know, anytime we look in this direction of how do they feel about one another, it's always this really kind of sweet um vibe to how they think about each other yeah and you, you pulled out too that there was uh there's a yeah, I thought it was funny I thought, yeah so one of the things she, so she's thinking about like harry being mischievous and she says beneath that mischief his goodness ran as deep and as true as the weasley twins which i thought was like sweet and also like like what really i mean yeah i guess so but like they wouldn't have been the first people that come to the top of my head <laughs> and they're like oh i totally agree now that you mention it but I think it's her short list of people that give her the most trouble. 
But oh yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, too. so it's not yeah. like you know, her, maybe it's not her her favorite students. I bet her favorite yeah. student out of everybody right now is Hermione Granger. Yeah. But it's like, all right, who who causes me mischief, but who's also really good? Yeah. And it is kind of. Oh, sweet like that, that sort of like stays consistent with like the because the, the thing you even from the movies you always want to think is like she's really stern, but like underneath that she's actually really nice. I know it's great. So. Um, yeah. Let's see here. So yeah, uh, basically Harry gets in and. Uh, <laughs> um, he's just like, uh, so do I get to know what's going on? And she's like, you weren't told yet. And he's, and Harry says, nah, just that there was a warning that I might be in danger, but I was safe. And she's kind of like, okay, I'm not allowed to explain right now, but if the, after this, the headmaster still doesn't tell you anything, you may come back to me and I will go yell at him for you. I will go yell at him. Which is a very nice I offer. Thought, yeah. This, the beginnings of this, especially because it does come in with where they do like each other so much, it makes this sort of like really tense and uncomfortable because it's kind of the first bits we're seeing of how much Harry is having to lie. And it's just kind of remembering of like the very like cut and dry promise he had to make to quarrels like no if any if this ever comes up you can't like hedge your bet or how you say it you just have to straight up lie about it and so he's doing that but it's like really hard for him uh, especially when it's to people that he likes you know he doesn't that he's having to do that with McGonagall um, and, it, and it's also because he's like he it's not just that he's lying to them but he has to do it convincingly he has to do it well and all the time yeah so you can this beginning you can see like what a toll that's taking on him yeah totally it'd be hard enough to keep something especially know that yeah. is causing like this much stress from somebody that you care about. There's another thing entirely to just full on lie to your, lie to their face about it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think you, you pulled out, I, I love how from the top of the paranoia letter, you can see horcruxes as far as the eye can see. But <laughs> that was when you'd said that was the price measured in a fraction of Harry's soul. The yeah. idea that like, yep, they're gonna have to lie to your friends and family, just flat out tell them that this isn't true or whatever. Yeah. And that it, that is a sacrifice. It, it's, uh, I don't think it's one that, I mean, he actually, uh, that's why I like his aftermath so much. Like, he didn't think through any of this shit. And yeah. it's uh, it's one of those things that's easy enough to anticipate in the future. Like, okay, I'll have to lie about that. But it's another thing entirely when looking down, basically, you know, Grandma McGonagall and saying, yep, no, it wasn't me, totally. Yeah, and, it's, and it, we kind of get more of a sense as this goes on of how much it's isolating him. Because he has nobody that he can tell about, you know, what's really been going on. Totally. Which is probably not at all unintentional on Quirrell's part. Oh, damn. Um, the only one he can talk to is Daddy. <laughs> I didn't actually think of that. Uh, I think that's a really good point, though. It's yeah. there, There's, uh, he, He's got this, this huge burden and stress, and he, he has no one else he can go to yeah. about it. I wonder, no, probably not, actually. I was thinking, if he still has occlumency lessons, he could talk to Mr. Bester about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, um... Uh, yeah, and the, we get a little bit uh, more of a peek of that when he talks about like how blackmailers blackmail, um, and and that reminded me too of just kind of like the mind fuck the crawl is pulling on him. Oh yeah, yeah. Let, let's take it in order. Some, yeah, yeah. Because um, I that, I forgot about that part. Well, yeah, we'll get there. All right. Yeah. So, so anyway, so McGonagall tells him like, okay, I need you to uh, take uh, take your time turner back six hours and go tell Flitwick. Silver on the tree. I wonder, now that we're saying that, I'm like, I wonder if there's some kind of little Easter egg about that phrase. But, um, and like when I read it, I'm like, okay, how the fuck are we going to get out? Like, I'm expecting like he's going to come up with some bullshit reason or like, how is this going to work? Um, but then we find it like, and I, I actually honestly don't remember this from, from when it, like how it was set up, but, um, I, I guess it was a little bit in the back of my mind, but, but Quirrell had already 
like accounted for this. I, I think, how did they say it? That this was like, just like the obvious thing that somebody would try. So they need to prepare for it. That before they left, Harry was just sitting around in a room for 30 minutes waiting for a message from himself from the future. Um, and so this is him sending himself a message from the future. Uh, he sends, sends himself a Rot 13 version of the, uh, sends him the pig Z burger. Um, he writes himself a, a coded note uh, with the message that McGonagall wants him to send to Flitwick. Um, I'm glad you actually plugged it into a Rot 13 translator because I was, I was going to do that and forgot. Nah, I, should, I just Googled. Well, uh, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, just Google Rot 13 and it gives you a, a plug and chug. No, I, no, I, no, not even that. I Googled the, uh, I have to be, it's been dangerous sometimes if I try to Google anything. Uh, sometimes I can st- jump into spoilers. I haven't really spoiled anything yet, but um, no, I just took that gobbledygook and put it into Google and you got, oh, hit the, uh, I see. I hit the subreddit. Oh, then you did the lazy um, way to do it. I would have just, gone, oh, hell yeah. I, I was thinking it was Rot 13 because that's just the standard, you know, like, I hadn't thought Rot 13. I, I was thinking, okay, it's probably just some kind of like cryptogram thing. But Well, I figured um, it was easy because then w- when he's writing it out, um, he says there are two types of cry- cryptography, the codes that stop your little brother from reading your messages and codes that stop major governments from reading your messages. And this was the first kind of code. <laughs> but the uh, I think the only other thing is that this was after they got back from Azkaban because it was at 3 o'clock and they I think they went to lunch at like noon, right? So uh, yes, they so basically, I guess when they got back somewhere between the warehouse and getting back to Hogwarts, you know, Corolla uh, told Harry, "Hey, go sit in an unused classroom in case they test your time turner." And looks like they did. <laughs> That's thinking ahead. Yes, although I guess it's a good thing they hadn't tried to like do it to him like immediately to a time that he would have still been in Azkaban. So yeah, or if if they just tried it on him at all, right? If they hadn't waited until his time turner opened up, if they had say, uh, I don't know, if Dumbledore had handed him his and say, hey, give this to me this morning. Yeah. But then, of course, he couldn't because Dumbledore didn't get his from him that morning. So Dumbledore could go back in time and tell himself to tell Harry to go back six hours a.m. <laughs> yeah. this where it all starts to fall apart. Can't think about it too hard. The thing is, I'm convinced that if we drew this out, it would actually check out because I, I, I get the impression based on nothing concrete but i i strongly suspect that the author just actually really enjoys this kind of twisty thinking and there's no way he didn't think it all through not not to you know fend off the you know reddit's lawyers but to like just for his own fun well yeah and there's certain like kinds of things where you know like if you're going to start engaging in that like like some things people are you know willing to let slide another thing like if you're going to get some kind of weird time loop paradoxy thing going on that's exactly the kind of thing that the seething horde is going to pick apart so yeah, and someone on uh, Discord mentioned the the fact that like the last chapter um, where they're kind of drawing out diagrams and stuff and trying to figure mm-hmm. out what happened, um, they pointed out that they really liked that was from McGonagall's point of view because like that puzzle is there for us to try and solve if we yeah. feel like it, but if we if we don't really, which McGonagall doesn't really care to, we don't have to. It's not going to take yeah. up a big chunk of text. We don't have to get the giant explanation of how convoluted and genius this is. We can just like we can do that if we want to in our own time, but it's not going to take up you know spot or page on the text. So yeah, I don't I think. So. And when you and I were talking about the um, like looping back in time on yourself to be in the same place multiple times, that we haven't gotten a lot of that sense. I guess we do a little bit, but it'd be interesting to like have Harry go through and like be bored of like oh fuck I'm having to go through this. I already did these three hours, and now I have to do them again. 
because uh, that's what I how I imagine it would be. Because like, oh yeah, I can you know I can go back in time and do this again. And it's like there's multiples of me. It's like, well, no, you have to be all those multiples of yourself. Yeah, so Groundhog Day would be a drag. I guess even if it was only for an hour or you know hour increments. I know you got you you got to do all of them. Somebody's got to do them. It's not for free. Yeah. So. <laughs> it reminds me of the latest Rick and Morty, but that takes us too far from this. So, um, <laughs> got a lot of ground to cover today. We, we do. So I do like how uh, they he's like the 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 Slytherin secret mail network. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that's just like a kind of fun, clever little trick. So basically, you've got an envelope with someone's name on it, and then inside that envelope is some money, and then someone else's name. And that way the person receiving the note doesn't know who actually delivered the note. And so he actually goes one step further and just uh, basically makes himself invisible while he knocks it against the portrait. Yeah. And so like no one even knows who drops the first letter off. But I remember I, I was thinking that they would be very Slytherin though. Like if you are the first person and told like, okay, go give this note to this other person. Like you are totally going to want to then stalk that person and see who they give it to just because that's information somebody doesn't want you to know. Therefore, you need to know it. I guess that's also why he went through the trouble of encrypting his secret letter. Exactly. Yeah. That was the other thing I thought about. It's like, he didn't, because he made it, it was a super short version of the, of the message. It's, he wasn't, I was thinking like, he wasn't limited to, he could have written himself a little paragraph of instructions and Route 13 did. Something to do it the hard way though. It's just, you know, doing that on paper to rotate the letters. That's true. Apparently, the old school nerds were able to just like they could read Rot Thirteen. Like, if you got good enough at it, you could start to decipher it on site. Something tells me Harry's that kind of nerd. I guess I could say so. That was a scroll and quill, Rot Thirteen. <laughs> All right. So basically, apparently there, and actually there, there was a clue to this earlier on that doesn't spoil anything. But now this is one of the, I mean, this is just a small thing that happened. But the. Um, the intended recipient of the end note is Margaret Bolstrode. And I think what's her younger sister's name? Um, Cause we saw her yeah. in a previous chapter and uh, I'm blanking on it. In any case, uh, the younger Bolstrode, when they were going to come down and I think it was to like, tell everyone about like Hermione rescuing Harry with a kiss or something. Oh yeah. And, uh, they were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to tell them this. And we're going to be like the gossip, you know, uh, whatever people get out of being the first one to share gossip. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh yeah, she already told us. And that's probably because her older sister found out, went back in time and told her. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's weird now. It's like, like leaking out, like how many of these time turners are just floating around. Yeah. It makes you wonder. Like Dumbledore's I mean, got one that apparently he uses on the regular. And Yeah. I guess they're, they're rare enough to where like not everyone knows that they exist. But they're not so uncommon that, you know, I guess Quirrell wasn't able yeah. to identify another student with one. Actually, it probably makes sense for the, for the school administration to all know who has a time turner. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Although I wonder if That's Quirrell That's true. Counts. They did say it as if they, uh, it was, the way Harry said it was that it was a thing that Quirrell had deduced, not that he was just told. Uh, it strikes me that's the kind of thing that Quirrell would just do to seem even more superhuman. Is that it's you know totally on the list, the students with time turners list, but then he lets Harry think that it's just because he's super sleuth. Exactly. That is, uh, wasn't that what Harry concluded was like the secret of, of yes. being able to seem so smart is just already know the answer in advance. <laughs> That'd be like watching a tape of Jeopardy. Uh, it occurs, then, actually, it wouldn't be very cruel because I don't think we've ever caught Quirrell bullshitting. I mean, we've got like outright lies, but we've never caught Quirrell pretending to be, you know, more impressive than he is. 
That's a good point. I was going to speculate that maybe the defense professor is just de facto not on the list of any privileged information whatsoever. <laughs> that would be the smart thing to do. Yeah, once you go through enough years of defense professors, and you probably have one or two, you know, when they have the students of time turners list, they go steal the time turner and go fuck with it. Like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. Defense professors don't get to know about these anymore. <laughs> and no, you can't have one. <laughs> uh, oh, Millicent. That was the younger do- That was the younger sister's name. That's a very Hogwarts name. Right. All right. Well, I'm just glad it came to me because I don't think it was in this chapter. Thank God. That was really bothering me. God, yeah. This would have just brought down the episode. Um, so, basically, then Harry decides that because she had said to go talk to the headmaster afterward. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and interpret afterward as 9 p.m. Because I guess I don't know what they think I was going to do for the next six hours. But yeah. uh, since he can't go back to three, he's just going to hang out and wait till nine. So I like this last line, too, because it's it's generalizable and just fun. So b- before we get the uh, the page break to get to uh, the headmaster's office, um, it says there would come a reckoning. But sometimes you had to borrow everything you could today mm-hmm. and let payments come due tomorrow. That's like an anxiety feeling. I totally like I totally identify with it. But the, the times in your life when you're doing that, those are not happy times. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the only like counterexample to I mean, it. It, it never ends up being happy times anyway. Mm. Like there's always the, I guess, whatever you call it, uh, folk wisdom around alcohol that like the happiness you get from drinking alcohol is borrowed from tomorrow. Yeah. But I just like that little phrase. It's kind of interesting. Um, so then we cut to Dumbledore's office. Dumbledore. And I, and like me make a big deal like twice when we see Dumbledore's all dressed in black. Uh, and I did realize like how like, out of like of my visuals for Dumbledore, that is weird. Actually, I had trouble picturing him dressed in black, just because that seems strange. But we never—I didn't really get a sense of like what that was about, or one of that's just being put in place for us to know for later. But um, I think he's just being super serial. Yeah, uh, super serial. Yeah. Oh, do you not watch? You've seen South Park. Uh, like been a while. That's how Al Gore says serious when he's trying to convince everyone about Man Bear Pig. Mm. So, like, it, it undercuts his message because he, he doesn't say the word serious. He says serial. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I think that this is this is Dumbledore when he's not pretending to be insane. He's like, all right, this is serious business. I'm dressing seriously. <laughs> I'm in my big boy suit. Basically. Yeah, so then, but he's uh, he's talking all Gandalfy, uh, he, and he, he gets specifically Lord of the Rings in a minute. But um, I think, like, for most of these two chapters, uh, he's been very, like, over the top, dramatic, and and Gandalfy and how he speaks. Like the first thing he says to Harry is, "Bellatrix Black has been taken from Azkaban. She has escaped from a prison inescapable." The old wizard said, "It is a feat that bears Voldemort's signature, if ever I have seen it. And she, his most faithful servant, is one of three requisites he must obtain to rise again in a new body. After ten years, the enemy you once defeated has returned, as was foretold." Super dramatic. Um, I know. Yeah, I like. I mean, it just sort of. It's a yeah, and it's a it's a funny tone because he's not. He in these couple chapters, he doesn't seem like you know crazy, you know, daughtery Dumbledore. Um, but it is this like, I mean, it, dramatic's even kind of the wrong word. It's it's kind of like theatrical in the way he's talking. Yeah, it's. I, I like Gandalfian. Sounds like a good way to put it. <laughs> I like. Uh, I mean, even even the next thing he says was. Um, he says it need change little for you now. Uh, or need change little for you for now. I have alerted a few souls that can and should understand. And he lists some people. And then he says, of the prophecy, yes, there is a prophecy. I have not told them. But they know that Voldemort is returned. And they know that you are to play some vital role. They is they, returned. Yeah, right. 
They and I shall fight your war in its lesser beginnings while you go stronger and perhaps wiser here at Hogwarts. And I just like that. I mean, this also sets up for Harry because, like, I don't think that... Oh, actually, it says the inner part of Harry was screaming and banging his head against imaginary walls. What I like about that is because, like, I think that he thought that this would be serious, you know, bad news that hit the paper when, all right, cool, everyone's going to know Bellatrix is out. But now he's hearing from Albus Gandalf Dumbledore <laughs> that, hey, look... I've I've told the head of the uh, the head of the military, uh, others you know what certain others that uh, we're at war and we're gonna start mm-hmm. you know I'm putting together my secret band of, of warriors and we're gonna you know get this shit under wraps and try and and you know have all this out for you and he's like oh uh, this is way more than I bargained for yeah and he's uh, and we get a little later he's like just realizing the the magnitude of, of his fuck up that like they're all you know they're gathering troops because okay we're going to war against Voldemort and while they don't know that he is the cause of all of this mischief um, so yeah the other thing I think is so and then a lot of like the tension of this scene is because Harry is having to pretend to not know everything he's being told already um and and it gets framed a lot as like there's his uh it's sometimes it's just like oh the harry that didn't know said one thing and the harry that knew was you know banging his head against the wall um but that was also framed as it's his dark side not talking and his not dark, not really his light side but just his not dark side is the is the side that he's allowing to be seen um and so it kind of it shows the that sort of anxiety and the exhausting process of having to keep that uh pretense up is also kind of his own like internal battle between his two sides yeah and i think it's like it's his dark side pretending to be his light side showing yeah. right so it, yeah. it's just all this extra effort at you know this recursion of character of who he actually is mm-hmm. and yeah it sounds exhausting um he i think at the top of this it mentions that it's now several hours past his allowed bedtime so he's allowed to show a little tiredness yeah. but still yeah. Um, I mean, th- th- this is still the day that he, like, this is the same evening that he did all that shit in Azkaban, right? It, it, yeah. It, it feels like it was a long time ago, but, like, for him, it was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, that was at lunch. It's a very It's, it's 9 p.m. Day. now. Yeah. Jeez. Um, <laughs> so then he uh, he pulls out this Gandalf, or this uh, Lord of the Rings parable, which basically he explains that. Tolkien's wizard. Oh yeah, first of all, he calls him John Tolkien. John Tolkien. It's totally. I never. Actually, I don't even know that I would have known. Oh no, actually, I know because uh, Tolkien has two middle, the same two middle names. I think. Anyway, Tolkien's name is a lot like my father's name. Oh, that's tight. I said, yeah, John Robert Rule is my father's name. I think it is. I think it's almost exactly that. Is that on purpose or is that some bizarre coincidence? I, that's what I thought for a long time, but no, actually, my uh, my dad was born before these books came out. So that's pretty uh, cool. so no, yeah, it is. I think I want to go back. I want to say they are the same names because I was like, oh, that's too much of a coincidence. But then the dates didn't line up. So. Huh. Well, mm. speaking of dates, so if the books came out, what, in the, I actually don't know when these were published. Like the 50s or something, yeah. So I think he calls him John Tolkien. This is just purely my headcanon because he knew, I bet he, you know, oh, he Tol- Tolkien lets, lets his friends call him John. And I, uh, I bet yeah. that Dumbledore and, and John go way back. Or they, and Gandalf is based on Dumbledore. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, there you go. Yeah, clearly. All right. Yes. All right. New headcanon. Perfect. So, um, he, well, I th- so the way he opens this though is, I'm um, so the kind of the gist of of what he says to Harry is, you know, Gandalf was an idiot for letting Frodo run around. He should have just like uh, holed up in Rivendell while the grown ups took care of shit. Um, 
But that the what to me was strange, like the way the one of the first things he says about that is that real life is not like stories, um, which was just weird to me because like so much of the way Dumbledore acts is because he thinks of everything as like following a, a convenient little narrative. So it was kind of and that and it wasn't just that he said that one line, but everything he says after that is sort of consistent with that thought of, okay, dumb people would think that you know to do the dramatic story adventure quest thingy right here but that's stupid and we are not going to let you leave hogwarts because somebody's going to try to kill you if we do so we're not going to do the dumb thing you have to stay put and sorry yeah and it's it's uh like i think harry totally gets it because it's like oh yeah okay uh if because the harry who knew nothing is like that makes perfect sense um i have to take you at your word that this sounds like Voldemort's back and if I'm really the second requisite in his resurrection ritual, then yeah, by all means, keep me keep me locked up. And the, of course, the downside is being told, hey, by the way, you can't leave. Um, we all know how fun, how much fun that is. Of course, our houses aren't as fun as Hogwarts. Oh, that's it. Yeah, but that's what's going on in the back of Harry's mind is that uh, that he's like, well, actually, this is the if I have to be trapped anywhere, this is the awesomest place there is to be. There is to be trapped, and that he was like, "Oh, and I was going to try to figure out how I could con my way into spending the summer here anyway, instead of having to go back." So. Yeah. It's, By the way, Tolkien's name is John Ronald Rule Token. My father's name is John Robert Rule Token. Oh, Tolkien. close enough for government work. Even after my uncle Rule, who looked just like Robert Heinlein. There you go. <laughs> cool. Perfect. <laughs> um, basically, and I, I like this a lot too. And I got to give another shout out to Drake Walker, who did the voice for Dumbledore, because. Like he does the he does this the old wizard voice, huh? Yeah, this would have been a good scene for some dramatic Gandalf thing. Oh yeah, and he like he does the you know wizened old wizard voice great, but then he does the serious kind of like very stern, almost yelly Dumbledore voice really well. And he's like, Frodo should never have been moved. To, should, Frodo should have been moved to Rivendell at once by Gandalf himself, and he should never have left Rivendell without guard. There should have been no Night of Terror and Bree, no Barrow Downs, no Weathertop where Frodo was wounded. They could have lost their entire war at any of those times for Gandalf's folly. Do you understand now what I am t- saying to you, son of Michael and Petunia? He still seems to can't get his Gandalfy voice out yeah. under. Uh, I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think it fits him perfectly. But I thought it was I interesting that is... he made a point of calling him son of Michael and Petunia like he was, because that's not how the whole wizarding world thinks of him. It was almost like he was like consciously acknowledging that at Harry, like, I know who you consider to be your parents. Yeah. And then I like, maybe it was just a good thought jerker for Harry, too, because he's like, wait, are they okay? Will they be safe? And um, he says that, you know, the, or what is what is the, the line that... Um, the Death Eaters learned towards the end of the wizarding, or towards the end of the war, not to attack the Order's families. Yeah, I th- when I read that, well, yeah, so we were going to talk about this. What that? So when I read that, like my two thoughts was, okay, okay, that's just kind of like a bullshit, uh, but that would be a really inconvenient plot point to have to deal with. So this is a good way of just like saying, okay, we're just not going to. You know, that's a pain in the ass. We're not going to, and that is a pain in the ass and not an interesting story to tell. So we're just going to like kill that thought right now. Uh, but as far as like, that's not super plausible. Like, Oh, they just learned not to do that. Um, but what, so, I mean, it's fine. And it's not a super, you know, important or large point um, in the story, but uh, it made me think of like the other times, because as we've gotten more, as the story's like picked up and Harry's become more likable, um, what I realized, like, okay, so, like, that register in the back of my head is like, okay, that's kind of bullshit. But mostly I realized, like, oh, but I don't care. And so I thought, okay, why do I not care this time? And maybe, and I think I said a little bit about, like, the whole suspension of disbelief thing that, um, 
that now being more like invested, like excited about the story and wanting to see where it goes. And, but I think mostly like having characters to like, um, and sort of like that you are rooting for. Um, I think that's got a lot to do with when, like then where these kinds of things then don't bother you. Cause like on some kind of lower emotional level, you kind of, you want this story to work. So you're willing to play along with it. Um, and I think in the beginning, especially, you know, like the beginning, beginning when like Harry is just so not likable at all and things are just not going well in the story, then like your own, I think it's like you're not getting anything back from the story. So it's like you don't want to like, you know, cut them any slack. So like all those like so this, you know, something like this had happened like in the beginning. Um, I probably would have been all over it and irritated by it because it is kind of like it doesn't work as far as, you know, just being believable. Um but now it's like, okay, it's, I guess it's more like I'm on the same side of the author. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't want to deal with That's a boring story to have to deal with. So I am totally on board with. Let's just ignore that. So I'm willing to go with your not very plausible idea that, well, the bad guys just aren't going to do that. Okay. Um, no, I like that. And so your initial thought was that it was because like the author didn't want to bother doing, and then Harry has to rescue his parents. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's, that, that is my initial thought and continues to be my thought. <laughs> like, it's just, cause it is like, it's enough there and you're back here like, oh, okay, why wouldn't they do that? Um, so you feel like you have to sort of address it somewhat, but, and it, it and there isn't like a great, so it like, if this were, you know, life is not a story. If this were real life, that would be a, you know, a legit problem that you'd have to deal with. Um, but it's not a very fun or interesting problem. How do you, how, if you were to deal with that in real life and say like this, this was real life and you were like, no, I'm convinced that they won't go after your family. Why would you be convinced of that? Why in real life, why would you be convinced that they wouldn't go after your family? So pretend that you already did believe that. And then, then, then ask yourself, why do I think that? Why do I think they wouldn't come after my family? Pretend that I don't. Uh, so I, so I think my family is safe. Why do I think that? Right. I don't. That's the thing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like, I, I think that we, we already have one major thing that's been spelled out in the story that indicates why the or why the Death Eaters might actually not go after the Order's families. But I'm trying mm. to see if I can jog your memory. Oh, uh, no. So, I'll probably remember. That's all right. Dumbledore is alleged to have murdered Narcissa Malfoy for being the wife of Lucius Malfoy. Oh, yeah. oh and is that what that's what he's referring to? It, oh, I... I honestly can't say one way or the other, obviously, but that strikes me as a plausible explanation for like, hey, look, remember that time that you kidnapped whatever uh, McGonagall's, uh, I don't know, whatever? Um, Well, I murdered your fucking wife. So are we done going after each other's families now? (laughs) Oh, I like that. Especially because that whole like menacing Dumbledore vibe. Oh, yeah, you know, and that probably could have been what that was in reference to. Cool. Well, and, and it makes sense that, like, so if if this was real life and you were like, no, the bad guys won't come after you, you're like, well, how do you know? It's because, like, last time they tried, I murdered uh, I murdered one of theirs, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, so, uh, for me to turn everything into a confirmation of my point. Uh, um, that, <laughs> but, like, it worked because that's because that's a cool, like, like, that idea is cool, then that makes you even more, like, want to, like, play along with it. Because, again, like, in reality, like, you know, does you know, bumping up the stakes against the people that are fucking with you just is not the best way to diffuse tension. Um, but you're like, but that's a cool, like, that's an interesting story. I like that. It is cool. So I'll go along with that. And and I'm, I'm glad it helps that way, too. The other thing to consider yeah. is that, like, while... I think now the, you're saying that, I think you're totally right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if I'm going to go ahead and poke holes in my own thing, I think that while the Death Eaters have lives and things they care about, we have every... Um, 
indication that Voldemort doesn't have that, right? Yeah. So Voldemort wanted to go after Harry's parents. Like, who, who's Dumbledore going to kill? Do, you know, yeah. Voldemort's beloved d- pet dog. Like, yeah. and Voldemort and Voldemort would just tell it. Like, even if the like, you know, if Lucius Malfoy didn't want to fuck with Dumbledore directly, if Voldemort told him he had to, then he would. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that. Mm. It 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 adds the when you, when you throw in the element of somebody, it, it kind of like mutually assured destruction. I guess yeah. is what I was hinting at there, right? Of course, if you don't have anything to lose. Because yeah, exactly. because you're an immortal dark wizard and you don't like anybody or anything, then mutually assured destruction is not so mutually assured anymore. Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. You want to nuke? You want to kill all the Death Eaters and blow up, blow up whatever country I'm from? Cool. Like I give a shit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I, I'm glad we talked about that. But uh, that's why you wanted because you would underline that in our notes. You're like, oh, I hope we talk about that. Well, I also didn't quite understand so, what you put in the notes oh, okay. there, so I, I wanted right. to. I'm glad to have it all laid out, and I really liked what you said about like having hey once you're invested then i'm just totally allowed yeah. to have disbelief again because now like i don't need you to talk me into why this is a good thing because you know i don't need my hand held every step because now yeah. i'm actually enjoying it i like that part a lot too but i also wanted to throw in the thing that i think it was hinting at the the alleged uh murder of an innocent yeah that's one thing i think it's like for, i don't know if it's good or bad but like the difference a difference in style with this book because it's like I need to come up with a shorthand for this term, but like the book written with, with Reddit as the audience while it's happening um, is that these, if he wants to be, if we, if he wants to not hit you over the head with something, he has to be super, super subtle about it because he's going to have, you know, 200 people, you know, uh, picking it apart all at once. So if he, anything to be subtle, he has to be, you know, practically stealthy about it. And so a lot of these little things like sneak by. I think it was on the order of tens of thousands um, yeah, of people exactly, picking yeah. at it and i've got a whole long interesting thing and to, like to get so it's not just like tens of thousands it's, it's and it's not just individually it's like okay everybody reads that chapter that week and then gets online and talks about it and maybe like the first you know first few times he does that he he doesn't you know think how much it's going to be taken apart but not even taken apart in a bad way but just like he's not going to fool anybody about anything yeah. No, there's actually and i i rather than try and summarize it and fail to do so myself i'll just point to anyone who finds that kind of conversation interesting um that's sort of the like author audience feedback which you don't really get with like published books like you might get between books but you yeah. don't in the 900 pages that you buy at a time and uh with ward wrapped up so i guess if you were to listen to the episode by itself it would have full spoilers um which reminds me uh this episode comes out after their secret episode that they didn't tell people about and that i was told not to tell people about with uh, Wild Bo, the author, uh, oh. so I haven't heard it because it comes out tomorrow and we record on Tuesdays. But he was in the he was in the chat when we were putting together the Doof and Chill. Nice, I'm yeah. Like, he, oh, hey, there's Wild Bo. Yeah, he hangs out. Um, yeah. yeah, the uh, um, so they they have an interview with him, which I'm sure is great, but I haven't heard it yet. And uh, the episode before that, where they do like the, I think it might have just been like the mailbag. So it is going to be full spoilers for the whole book. But Matt has this really great analogy for what it's like to write in front of an audience. And he, he equates it to uh, like stand-up comedy, like a performance. Yeah. And I think that's fucking perfect. A, because I love stand-up comedy. Um, and I, I appreciate not just like having a good laugh, but I really like the craft. I love, uh, I, I, I'm not, I think I'm better at like picking, uh, uh, like doing a literary analysis on a comedy show than I am of a book. Um <laughs> But it's the thing where it's like, all right, this isn't working with my audience. I can either keep telling this yeah. joke and have it keep bombing, or I can tweak it, or I can just scrap it. 
You know, some things, yeah. not everything's going to land. And so when you're writing things live for people, you've got to make those kind of updates. I have no idea to what level, if any, the author of uh, Methods of Rationality was influenced by the audience. Um, well, even if you he, just, I mean, even the no, even if you're not even directly interacting, the knowing that it's happening is going to, to some extent, even, you know, it's just going to be sitting there in the back of your head. Like, I think, I mean, and that's totally like those, those are like, good things about like getting that immediate feedback but it's like the downside is there's going to be like i guess the word i use for it is like public you're going to like everything you're going to be writing is going to be very safe for public consumption and not you know not very like intimate um and especially not like not opening up to you're sort of like in the short term kind of self critiquing everything you say and not kind of giving yourself room to be sloppy or inconsistent and those kinds of things that sort of like come up with kind of more organically kind of larger ideas that like you, you're going to be kind of like hemmed in a little bit, but yeah, on the other hand, like you are getting like lots of that feedback and stuff, but it's going to, it's just going to sort of like, uh, it's going to cause a little more self-censorship, I think. I think it would make it an extra challenge. I know that Wild Bo really follows the, uh, the fandom for his works as he writes them. And I think he does, I, I know that he does that because he actually, he writes like these, uh, I don't know what he calls them, like afterwards um, I, I of, of his books. It's so like when he's done, he, he will write like a long essay of like, all right, here's what I think went well and here's what didn't and here's the things that I scrapped because people didn't think they're moving fast enough, that sort of stuff. And I think he acknowledges straight up that like that is that following what people are saying about it is a deliberate challenge that he sets on yeah. himself. But that's also, that really fits with the comedian thing. Like if you're, if you're yeah. going to put on headphones and not listen to them laughing or not, then why are you even yeah. up there? You know? Yeah. And it's like a different thing. I mean, it's not like the comedian thing. That's, that is a great example because like that is a good thing. It's just, it's a specific thing. It, it is, it's sort of like a choice of tone. Like there's certain things open to you and certain things that that, you, that are shut off. Yeah, not necessarily bad, but you know, but there's that there's a trade-off that's made. To oh yeah, that. I totally hear you. Because so, I guess sort of like if somebody's gonna like tell you like you know important things about their life, like the difference between telling twenty people about yourself versus telling one person about yourself, and the kinds of ways you would say something, or or the you know not just like the level of what you would say, but even just the way you would frame things, um, it's it's just gonna change. You're gonna be kind of. Like it is defended. It's not even necessarily like, you know, defensive, but there's going to be just kind of a more, I think that's why I keep hitting on the word public, just sort of the, the ways you're sort of, you're cleaning yourself up a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. It would have been interesting to see what this book would have been like if yeah. it was written in isolation and published as one gigantic thing. Yeah, because yeah, I think like most, like the, you know, quote, normal novel is kind of a more, you know, navel gazy kind of, you know, self-important, affected, ooh, I'm a writer type. Um and is done as, as a lot more. It's sort of like a kind of a voyeuristic, like, oh, I'm going to be completely myself. And then you get to see this book later because it's sort of this thing that happened in secret. And then you got to see all at once, um, which like is not it, then not going to be the vibe if it's, you know, if it's serializing out every week. So Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, trying to see where we <laughs> were back in the story before I. No, no, that was an awesome. I, I helped encourage that discussion don't you don't get to take credit for that digression um so let's see what are we doing oh yeah so as so basically he's like all right is that everything and then it's kind of funny that this is worth mentioning at all but he's like oh yeah you can't use muggle artifacts in battle anymore and he's like okay cool fine like i give a shit and then um and i like this because 
you know, you get the fact, you get the impression that Dumbledore is, you know, trying to be sincere and he's, uh, yeah. in fact, it even says there's a choking sound from Albus Dumbledore's throat. He's like, please, you know, I have no right to ask for forgiveness, but at least say you understand. And Harry says, I understand. I mean, I was sort of thinking about it anyway, wondering if I can get you and my parents to let me stay over at Hogwarts during the summer like the orphans so I could read the library here. It's just more interesting at Hogwarts anyway. And it's, uh... It's yeah. this nice kind of sad moment, and then yeah. Harry goes. To well, leave. I thought it was it like when I was reading through it a second time that that was the so that was the thing that Dumbledore was like you know feeling really contrite about and you know got choked up, um, but that's and Harry was like okay yeah whatever and then the thing that Harry got you know completely loses his shit about in a second uh, is not you know it wasn't even on Dumbledore's radar, um, and they get like and and Dumbledore's not on board with it. Oh yeah, because the. Uh, well, basically, when he reaches for the door handle, Fox yeah. screams and leaps at him. And uh, I like the moment because, you know, we feel it, too. And it, do, it goes really well in the audiobook, too. I, I, I think Inyash gets almost all the sounds from this from, uh, I think, freesoundproject.com or something. But it's this, like, I don't know how, how someone records this awesome eagle scream, but that's what he puts mm-hmm. in there. And then there's this moment that Harry, he, he's like, the, for the true Harry, the one who knew, knew his own guilt, came a flash of panic. He hadn't thought of that, hadn't anticipated it, hadn't. He had prepared to face Dumbledore, but he'd forgotten about Fox. And yeah, and I yeah, I thought like he was about to get narked out, right? Um, and that, and I guess it wasn't like completely known, but that yeah, that like oh, Fox knew it was him the whole time and just hasn't said. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's unclear it's how much Fox can actually talk to people. Um, yeah. It like. Harry's not the only well because when Harry says Fox is saying why didn't you help them and stuff he's not really translating for Fox I think he's using that like as an excuse but then Hermione kind of hears the question that Fox asks her later and so maybe there's some sort of like an impression of a a question or something that comes through and uh, yeah you get this sort of like sort like this kind of non-specific sense of Fox is smart but not not like can do a math problem smart but yeah smart in the important he's emotionally intelligent maybe maybe narking isn't a very Gryffindor thing to do so <laughs> or maybe he just I, I get the impression that he doesn't know right I think well or, I, I, so after it all plays out I think uh so I guess it's still ambiguous but my my thought was maybe Fox does know but because Fox and Harry are on the same page about what needs to happen with Azkaban that Fox is totally fine with not telling anybody like not telling on him because uh because he knows that harry wants the same thing oh yeah no i love that i think that's uh that's a great interpretation i'm gonna make that my my version as well so yes i i I believe what you just said i always believed it you didn't just convince me (laughs) (laughs) well the other thing i uh, thought was interesting is because fox is in that sort of strange in-between state like he's not a character um but we do get a like a definite sense of it, but he has an opinion about uh, about Azkaban that that kind of puts him. That's like a clue plot wise of like the thing. if it, if a character has an opinion about about anything. But you know, if we have some, you know, like Quirrell has an opinion about Azkaban, Dumbledore has an opinion about Azkaban, and then there's levels of us, you know, deciding how much we want to believe it. But when Fox has an opinion about Azkaban, that's Fox is just sort of the environment. He is the world, and so you know, it, to the extent that we get any reveal on what his quote opinion is about it, that's kind of more of a of a signal to us that that's just the truth. 
because um, we don't really think of foxes as, as having opinions that can be mistaken. To the, if, we, if we get any sense of him having a feeling about something, then, our, then we kind of tend to believe that that's just because it's a true thing. I like it, would be, it would be weird to have like, oh, and then the phoenix, who's not quite sentient really, but has emotions, is just, well, he's just mistaken. <laughs> that, would just, that would just be like a narratively weird concept to bring in. Yeah, I, I, I think I see what you're saying. I think that's a, that's a cool way to introduce, like you said, sort of unfiltered. Like, yeah, because yeah. Fox is like, if he's a, he, like you said, not not a character. He's just like a physical manifestation of like the good thing to do. Yeah, and yeah, he's gonna be either all wrong or all right. He's not gonna sort of, he's not gonna be kind of right. Yeah, well, I, I think Dumbledore disagrees with him a little bit, but then Harry doesn't, right? Because yeah. Fox doesn't understand what it means to throw away a war to win a battle. Yeah, and well, and I think that's it. Like, so there's like maybe on the specifics or whatever, and I think Dumbledore actually brings up some valid stuff about well, you can't just like you know flip the table over because you don't like what's going on, but. Um, but like that part of it where Fox is like, no, this is fucked up and you can't be okay with it. Like, I think that part we are like, do agree with like, like that is, and that, that part that Harry is latching onto about it. Like we are on that side of it too. Yeah. It's hard to like live with the politics of the situation. Yeah. And like, I mean, both Harry and Fox don't give a shit about what politically is the, the situation here. It's more just like, no, 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 the, the, we agree that this is wrong. Great. That's all we need to agree on. Let's go solve it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I thought, and I don't know where we're going we're gonna to end up landing on this, but like I thought it was because Dumbledore's response is just sort of like the, you know, shit's complicated response. Um, and but I don't like we're not. And, and there is some some extent of like, OK, Dumbledore is basically sort of sold out and is, you know, happy to just let people be tortured. Um, and that, you know, that's true to a good extent. Um, but that's not like the entirety, at least that, that's not 100% of what I took, took away. Some of what Dumbledore had said, at least to me, was like, no, that's true. And it, I guess in the way that he put it as, yes, those things are bad, but if we, other bad shit will also happen if we just, you know, blow it all up. Um, and so we're in this kind of ugly gray area um, where we can't, you know, we just can't just blow it all up because, you know, oh, bad, let's blow it up. Um, there's, you know, shitty realities and this is like a less than the worst bad situation we're in. Not good, but there could be worse. Um, and I, I didn't even think it, hear it so much as like, oh, and it must be this way. Um, it was just like, um, so yeah, it's bad, but you know, it, it does, it, these solutions aren't simple, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's Dumbledore's position yeah. that like, it, I mean, he, this was a nice, uh, way to drive home the emotional, um, yeah. beat of it that so basically Harry is like screaming at Dumbledore like why didn't you do anything why didn't you let them out because he, he uses Fox's scream as like okay I'm going to pretend like Fox just told me all this stuff so I can I can let all this stuff out because I was told I couldn't say any of this but now that I've got this possible yeah, excuse gonna, like, I'm going to go yeah. for it and uh, you'd pulled out this nice long quote uh, when he's yelling at Dumbledore and Dumbledore doesn't know what to say if you if you feel like reading that or not. Uh, we did, um, oh, yeah, yeah. We did talk um, about Yeah, because it, it, yeah, yeah. it's been this weird 
this weird mix of because because this is like this totally sincere it's actually this like sort of big emotional outburst from he's sort of like realizing how horrifying Azkaban was and that he's and just his like sincere outrage about it but at the same time he's like having to bullshit about what he does and doesn't know and so it's he is both giving this like sincere emotional expression while also like trying to meter it all out in a way that is quote believable um so what the uh, the passage was, Harry was sobbing almost too hard to speak for all the metal doors he'd passed, the voices he'd heard, the worst memories, the desperate begging as he walked away. All of it had burst into his mind like fire at the phoenix's scream. All the inner bulwarks smashed. Harry didn't know whether he could truly hear the voice of the phoenix so clearly, whether he would have understood Fox without already knowing. All Harry knew was that he had a plausible excuse to say the things Professor Quirrell had told him he must never raise in conversation from this day forth, because this was just what an innocent Harry would have said, would have done, if he had heard so clearly. They're hurting, we have to help them. And it was, it was just a weird, I mean, it was sort of like, it was interesting the way, because it's, it's almost kind of unsettling to read it, because there's, you know, real, like, I'm so, like, the emotion behind that feels very sincere, um, while he's also like scheming to make sure that like, okay, now I can say this. So, and I don't know, maybe that just adds to the whole like weird tension and discomfort that Harry is in, that it's these like conflicting feelings going on at the same time in a really not pleasant way. Yeah. And it, th- I mean, that's the thing is like, if he could come out and say like, dude, I was there, it's a fucking hellhole. We need to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, this is as close as he can get to saying that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even put that together that because theoretically, yeah, he's having to play this all off. You sort of like forget where the edges of the lie and the truth are. And he's having to play this off as like, oh, I've never been to Azkaban. I've only heard about it, um, which makes this whole that whole thing a lot more of a weird tightrope to walk. Yeah. For the lying of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I, I like this. And Dumbledore says like, no, I can't. Harry Fox, I can't. There's nothing I can do. Fox then screams at him again. And then Harry screams at him. He says, why not just go in there and take them out? Yeah. And he's like, Harry, tell Fox for me. Tell him it's not that simple. Phoenixes aren't mere animals, but they are animals. They can't understand. He says, I don't understand either. I don't understand why you're feeding people to Dementors. Azkaban isn't a prison. It's a torture chamber. and You're torturing those people to death. And I really love this emotional beat. And it, when again, when Drake delivers it, it's just soft. And it says, Percival, Percival Dumbledore, my own father, Harry, my own father, died in Azkaban. I know, I know it's a horror, but what would you have of me? To break Azkaban by force? Would you have me declare open rebellion against the the ministry? I almost said military. It's the (laughs) the same thing. And then there's a CA, all caps, exclamation point. And... uh, It's Fox's only line. Right. It's easy to memorize. CA. (laughs) And then... Uh, Harry, I think his voice is now, he's not screaming anymore because it's not all caps, but he says, Fox doesn't know anything about governments. He just wants you to to take the prisoners out of their cells. And Harry's like trying to talk him into it. He's like, I'll go with you. You know, with our, with our combined time. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I can, I can kill any Dementors to come too near. And with our combined political might, we might be able to get away with it. Um, and it's like, Dumbledore is just trying to say, look, we can't overthrow the will of the government because of this and it's, yeah. I, I love just this whole exchange yeah it was, and now that you're saying it, it reminds me because like when he talks about like oh his own father died there that it's not just that he's like saying like oh I understand what you're saying like we get to see like no he's really you know for him to have that opinion comes at a cost to himself too so it's not like he's just you know in this you know theoretical philosophical state about it um, 
which I get, yeah, it makes it, it does sort of like make this whole exchange, like not one sided. Um, the other thing I get, and this keeps coming up that we keep sort of talking about like, Oh, let's let the prisoners go. And, and we, all of our, um, to the extent that we see, uh, not see prisoners, but you know, any of our sense of who the prisoners are in Azkaban, they're all sort of just portrayed as like innocent victims and rather than, and so I don't know, I'm not sure what to make of that, but that rather than like, oh, even bad, you shouldn't torture people no matter what. Um, and what do we do? You know, how can we have a more humane way to deal with awful, awful criminal people? Um, it's sort of only being framed as like, oh, like these are innocent people just being tortured and they just need to be set free. It's like the, the reality of that is probably not that like they need to be set free, is that they need to be managed in a humane way ethical way um like so there's probably some really bad people in there that really need to not be let out in public uh, but the torturing is probably not so necessary yeah and i think it like when harry's idealizing it he's not considering that part of it he's just yeah. like oh yeah they'll all float out and they'll all be happy and they'll all be better people when in fact now they're probably worse people than they were when they went in because they've been tortured yeah. for x number of of years or months and yeah and even if there are i mean it's like we haven't been given any impression that wizards are any better morally than anybody else there's probably some really horrific people in there um that deserve really bad stuff just not torture totally and that that's the thing is like you know if there's any other way to lock these people up we should be doing that rather than literally torturing them yeah it's interesting though like it has we haven't been getting it we haven't been getting it phrased that way and i haven't been sure um is that because we're like is that because Harry's got a kind of naive view on it or just that we're not like, again, like we don't want the story to like delve into like uninteresting criminal sociology theory, something, something. Yeah. Probably a little column, a little column B. Yeah. You know, like Harry, I think in the next chapter, especially when he's reflecting about how almost everybody has a nugget of good in them that can be fostered and that, that certainly won't be fostered in Azkaban. So he's like, Oh no, we could probably fix almost everybody who's in there. Um, But it, it's it's still not quite that simple either, right? Yeah. Uh, I wonder, you know, and I, I, I think I had discussions with people about this on the Discord a few weeks ago, where like, all right, Stephen, you're being sentenced to life in Azkaban, or we can memory charm you and rewrite your, your whole history so you just won't be a shit person. Which do you prefer? And I'd be like, well, I'm kind of dead either way, but I'll pick the one where I don't mm-hmm. rot in Azkaban, <laughs> right? Yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead and make a new Stephen that doesn't, that, that is uh, a, a, happy to be a law-abiding citizen and uh, kill me rather than put me in, in Azkaban. Well, if we ask that, Stephen, he'll be totally happy with that arrangement. Yeah, it gets uh, <laughs> it gets to be very scary very fast. Clockwork Orange kind of vibe. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, so their, their discussion goes back and forth on the, you know, the wisdom of like, well, it's not just something, it's, it's evil. And Dumbledore is like, yes, you know, even some evils have to be tolerated for the yeah. sake of like society. Um, I don't know, like, I, I, and again, this isn't just like some minor evil either. I'm trying to think of like, what would be a big enough crime to be like, all right, you know what, that's it. I'm going to go buy a grenade launcher and go shoot grenades at government buildings. Like, I don't know what could possibly put me over that point. Maybe having an Azkaban would be it, but like. Well, I guess like, like the point, at least to me, what I thought about was like, okay, let's say it is like evil enough, like whatever, wherever we've decided there's a line that you hit a line, then what do you do? And like, what is the right thing to do? Because it's not just like, okay, go, you know, grab a blunt object and, you know, 
try to hit the nearest cop over the head with it. Like there's then consequences to any choice you make from there. Um, and there are an infinite number of choices. It's not just this like, yes, I'm going to obey, not I'm going to obey. If you've decided you're not going to obey, well, in what way? And what are you going to do? And what are the unintended consequences of doing that? And all of the, like, there is no, like, nice, right, moral choice to make. There's just, like, lesser degrees of shitty. Um, yeah. And, and anything you pick is going to have, like, there's going to be some kind of downside to everything. Um, and that's where things get kind of, like, uncomfortable and, like, not nicely packaged. Totally. I mean, you know, say if you were able to like, all right, you know what, this prison is a torch chamber, I'm going to go let everyone out. And you, I don't know, somehow, if you want to do it by the code of Batman and not kill any of the guards, you just choke them out or whatever. And then you mm-hmm. blow up the, the side of the wall and everyone leaves. Well, what do you think the government's going to do about that? Yeah. Like, if, if I was the government who owned this prison, I'd probably be like, all right, kill orders on everyone who was in Azkaban. You know, uh, 100 gallons you every head like, you bring me. Yeah, and you could come up with some sort of like ivory tower hypothetical like oh you're not responsible for that part but like as a grown-up you look at that and you're like you know what the likely consequences of anything you do are and so when you choose something you are responsible for the likely consequences as well oh i totally agree and, yeah. and i think harry would agree too what's weird about this though is that like so like there's all of that but like i still to some extent didn't like what what dumbledore was saying either so there's like there was a level of well no harry and fox are right um, so this kind of came out with like neither, I, I didn't think either side won this one, although it was a little bit like, it was almost like on, on the main thrust of the content, Fox and Harry are right, but, but not, but, but you can't completely like just dismiss everything Dumbledore said. I, I think you summarized it nicely earlier that like there, there isn't a good choice here. There's just less yeah. shitty ones. Yeah. And it's, you know, maybe the, the, best least shitty way of going about it would be all right cool well i'm gonna work my way up to supreme mugwump or whatever and gain all the political allies i can whether through you know being nice or being you know blackmail all the votes i can and i'll do this the government bureaucratic way and then that way no one can claim that i overthrew the government right but i mean then it's like all right well that'll take me 50 years so and what kind of shitty things did you do in order to get there exactly for the greater good for the greater good which remember was dumbledore's uh, and Grindelwald's like mantra when yes. Dumbledore was on his side back in the day, um, which yeah, it's it's a it's a fun quandary and one that we don't really get to solve obviously because I don't know how do you how do you summarize that so exactly um, so Harry leaves yeah and Fox, and Fox goes with follows him. him yeah which was strange and interesting uh, and then there was some I think because because it was so because now our minds are so much on Dementors and Azkaban and then Fox coming out. Or there was something about that whole interchange when then um, when Fox follows him out and is sitting on his shoulder that it stuck out to me as like, oh, like what we're doing with Fox as a phoenix, like what he sort of symbolizes um, is that he's like, he's the opposite of a Dementor, that Fox comes back to life. So Fox is life, Dementors are death. Um, which And I kind of like that that idea, but like cause Fox is a thing that can't die. Um uh, and it, it, what was interesting to me though is like when other in other things where you see Phoenix as a as a metaphor, it's a lot of the time I want to say usually not usually but a lot of the time Phoenix the Phoenix metaphor is that life and death are intertwined um, and that they are the same they are just flip sides of the same thing which is a very not Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality message um, so I thought it was funny it's like we're kind of using it differently yeah no I like that and I. I don't know. For me, I I, I kind of just mentally model Fox as like 
good with a capital G mm-hmm. with some bite to it. Like yeah. he, he's where like Hermione is good with a capital G, but she's 11 or I guess 12 and she's not ready to go pick up a sword and go start cutting down bad guys. But if Fox had hands, you can bet that's what he'd be doing. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I, I, I kind of just picture Fox as the like, I don't know, moral, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the paladin of that's not quite the right <laughs> word either but you know F- fox is the yeah. the good guy and yeah. he, if he's not because he doesn't he can't have a role again they're not uh because they're just they're animals right so it's like he, he can't grab a wand and, and save the world but he's like i will scream at people until they save the world <laughs> yeah yeah and i think uh and that sort of like goes along with what i was saying about him being like a more a force than a character uh, is that he's like he just sort of is life um, so I, I guess well, I mean once I, once that clicked for me that's kind of how I've been seeing it now is that he is basically the the opposite of, of a dementor um, in that he's like he's alive he's alive and has uh, motivate like he he's, he's almost like an NPC um, in that he's less a character than a kind of a symbol um, and that he's sort of set up these sort of like the like the pure um, expression of what of life um, in the same way that like the dementors are death yeah and now that you mentioned that there's there's more analogies there like you know the, the phoenix brings peace and strength and yeah. the dementors you know bring fear and weakness um yeah no it that, that fits well mm-hmm. uh so yeah basically fox goes with harry and says it, well I, it's interesting whether fox says this or harry's just reading into it because all fox is doing is calling yeah, call but he's like you're not my phoenix now are you and he's like oh good i'm glad to hear that uh <laughs> I, I don't think the headmaster deserves that and then there's uh there's another call and he says, but you're angry at him and trying to make a point. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> what I'll be curious to see is if we, because in like the original books, you did get to see like Fox is this thing that goes through this like spring autumn cycle, like Fox decays and dies as often as he like comes back to life. And we haven't seen the decaying Fox thing. And that's what I'm like. What I'm thinking is like, we're not going to do that. Like, Fox is going to be represented as this thing that is constantly, Fox is, that a thing that won't die and comes back to life as opposed to a thing that dies and comes back to life in a, in like a cycle. Yeah. I think like the, the cycle is set up in this universe too. Um, like when, when Dumbledore is introducing Fox to that or Harry to that chicken that he's saying is Fox, he's saying, yeah, Phoenixes do this. And I'm sure that that's probably true from whatever books Harry could verify that at, but yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking that, yeah, like and it's like, Fox, and it's like true, true, but yeah, we're, but we're only going to see Fox. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that we'll see Fox more is like we're going to see Fox being alive, and yeah, that whole like they die off thing is true, but we're not going to focus on that. Nice. No, I like it. So. Cool, man. So then so we that's on. one chapter. Yep, that's one. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> there's some the short, short ones one. and some long ones here. Yeah, so we'll we'll try and we'll do our best. So chapter sixty three aftermaths, and this is the. What I like about this chapter is it's like, like you said, it's the one tying up all the threads and even ones we didn't know were threads, some of mm-hmm. which like, you know, even on rereads are fun surprises. Like you don't think about like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like Neville, when he hears about this, yeah. what's he going to do? Oh, God, what's Lasoth going to do? Um, all that stuff kind of is like it doesn't occur to us just like it didn't occur to Harry. Yeah. I don't know if you were thinking about this last week. Like, I wonder what Neville's going to do when he finds out that Bellatrix Black is out. But I certainly no, wasn't I thinking about it. Yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, especially because you're, like, so caught up in, like, the immediacy of everything that's going on. I think I was, what kind of what I liked about all this is that it's, like, like it's all, like, winding down. And so you could see, like, what's the fallout 
for all the different things. And it is sort of that sense of like, like, you know, accounts being made right. Yeah. The, the debt coming due. Yeah. Right on. Well, we start so, with Hermione. Hermione. And so, yeah, so Harry just like walks into the, to the Ravenclaw room with a Phoenix on his shoulder, which I think was like, it would be weird. Um, and it's sort of like portrayed as like everybody sort of like notices and then is quietly trying not to say anything. But I would think like people would just be like, what the fuck, Harry? Uh, yeah. I'm surprised no one runs up to him. I guess they I see Harry Potter doing crazy Harry Potter shit. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stay at arm's reach on this one. But yeah. yeah, it would be quite the sight. And, uh, you know, I, I, we don't have good, I think, dimensions on how big Fox is. But I think he's supposed to be fairly large, like at least great well, yeah, like he size. carries like in the... Um, is that the Goblet of Fire? I can't remember which one, but uh, he like, carries them away. Oh yeah, Chambers, yeah. yeah he, like they, they grab his tail and fly away. So. But he might just be super strong. Yeah, yeah. It, it might not just be pure strength. He, they don't ride him, right? Uh, yeah, I know. But he's got to at least like tail grabbable. Totally. Maybe like eagle sized at least. Yeah, bigger than bigger than a chicken. Yeah, I'm picturing five foot wingspan at least. Um, in any case, uh, from Hermione's point of view, she just sees Harry walk in, and she's just like, oh whoa something's going on because like in theory which like his we forgot at least i forgot this whole you know back thing with harry where it's like oh yeah hermione wasn't talking to him for a week because oh why wasn't she talking to him i can't even remember i think uh oh when he uh sent a quote a ghost after uh padma or parvati or whichever oh wow that was forever ago i know the the whole (laughs) and i love this because like the whole thing feels like it's been a long time and like for us it also has been because we've been reading it slow and stuff but I think Harry has the same sort of thing where it's like, yeah, that was a lifetime ago, right? Yeah. And it, I think that that's conveyed like subtextually to us too. Yeah. Um, and so Harry is like not in a happy place when he comes in. I thought this was uh, this is an interesting scene. This and the, and the when we come back to it's kind of its own aftermath. But when he comes back to Hermione, like Harry's like very uh, beaten down, but in a not but not beaten down in a good way, but like the uh, the humble part of this, he's like really, you know, bummed out about everything, but it's, it's also sort of like broken down his like, you know, blustery part of him. And so he's sort of like reaching out to and kind of being sincere to the people he cares about. Uh, so like the first after he sits down, he's like, I guess, cause he's still not sure if, if they're talking yet. And I guess technically they're not talking still, but, um, so, so he's, he's, doing, he's doing says, that 11 year old thing. Yeah. Yeah, Fox, that girl over there is Hermione Granger. She's not talking to me right now because I'm an idiot. But if you want to be on a good person's shoulder, she's better than me. Um, so he's like, he's not in a happy place. Um, but like, I like at least like it. Uh, but he's like, let go of the like, oh, I'm perfect and all. You know, I never make a mistake. He's calling himself an idiot. No, you're not an idiot, Harry. But, um, but you know, is at least like taking his guard down and not needing to be right about every little thing. Yeah, and it, it sucks too because I think probably you know from his altercation with Dumbledore helped you know with his what I guess being screamed at slash with by Fox where mm-hmm. like he I think in in my mind Harry's realizing like man I shouldn't have done that or if I did I should have saved everybody like I fucked up and yeah. so when he's thinking like I'm an idiot and I and I screwed up like he's I think he's in in I don't know he had the best opportunity uh, to. Uh, kill all the Dementors, right? Yeah. Let let the let the uh, the government figure out what to do after that. I mean, for fuck's sake, if you can't apparate out of Azkaban and if you can't, uh, whatever, tell there's no fast way out, right? Yeah. It, it sounds like a pretty damn good prison to me already, even without the Dementors. Yeah. 
but I'm not a magical scientist, so. <laughs> um, I like this because, like, this is where we get the inclination. Well, not inclination. Again, we it doesn't spell it out. It kind of does. You tell me what what to read here. So, um, Fox asks Hermione a question, and she's she stares at him, and she's just she's feeling like she was facing a question on a test she'd forgotten to study for, mm-hmm. the most important question. She'd gone her whole life without studying for it, and she couldn't find anything to say. She's like, I'm. I'm only 12. I haven't done anything yet. And I think Fox kind of like does this, what, like a little swoop around and lands back on Harry. And uh, I, I I don't like where Padma comes in here. I, I This jumps out at me every time where yeah. she's just like, you silly boy. Phoenixes aren't for smart girls to do for homework. They're for idiots who charge straight at five older Slytherin bullies. And it's like, hey, this is like, I don't know, like what she thinks is going on. I mean, obviously no one knows about yeah. Bellatrix yet, but it's like, you know, clearly some heavy shit's happening here. Why, why don't you leave your, your your cynicism to yourself for five fucking minutes yeah. when there's a phoenix in the Well, room? yeah, and and Harry being all, quote, Gryffindory about it has not ended well. Um, yeah, and so. it seems to be that there's more to, I don't know, getting a phoenix than being an idiot who charges at bullies right yeah it was weird though because like harry's like oh she's a better person than me go hang out with her and so fox is sort of like okay let's see what she's got and he's he's like eh she's okay but eh, never mind um so yeah i wasn't quite totally sure what to make of that because it was sort of this like okay i think because how it is it ends with like who did you save today or or something like that um but i think that i mean that is kind of a little bit of the vibe fox is giving off it's sort of like that idealistic sort of like i don't care what the consequences are let's go do good shit um and so he's sort of like going and he's kind of going up to Hermione and seeing how much of that does she have in her and he doesn't like, doesn't think it's enough. And that's sort of this weird like Hermione, and I guess Hermione picks up on that as, and maybe just more echoing off what Padma said that like, oh, you need to be more Gryffindory. And she's like, well, wait, I was going to totally run at the Dementor to save Harry. That was pretty Gryffindor of me. Um, and like Fox sort of comes back as like, he's like, okay. And then nah, but it's like, oh, that was a little bit of what Fox was looking for. Um, but not quite enough, so Hermione's still feeling all like inadequate about it. It was kind of a weird thing, though. Yeah, I I think, um, and it's Harry supposing about phoenixes, but I, I like his guess here. He says, "I forgot that phoenixes are animals." He's telling her, he's telling Padma to tell Hermione yeah. because you know we're not talking we're not to each talking. other yet. Um, tell her I forgot that phoenixes are animals. They don't understand time and planning. That they don't understand that peop that peop they don't understand people who are going to do good things later. I'm not really sure they understand what a person is. All they see is what people do. And so when you look at Hermione, like what, you know, if you get to lay out her life story, say if, I don't know, maybe phoenixes can do that because they're special. And it's like, <laughs> oh, you, you haven't done heroic stuff. But like, that's that's not the same thing as saying, uh, if you're laying out their history, you might not see that. But if you could lay out their future, it's like, no, Hermione could be super crazy awesome. But you don't yeah. get a phoenix for going to be awesome. Yeah. You get a phoenix for being totally awesome already. Yeah, it's funny that like what sort of now where Harry's at is a little bit like what everything Dumbledore just said to him, which is kind of interesting. How do you mean? Because like, well, because like, so Fox does, quote doesn't like Hermione because she's you know hasn't been gung ho enough yet. Um, but then now Harry is saying, well, but you will be like Harry's sort of giving like the more long game uh, view of it, uh, and that you know oh there's plans and things are going to happen, and that's a little bit like what Dumbledore was saying that, you know, you can't just run headlong at stuff. You have to think about the consequences. Like Harry's, like now that Harry's kind of all bummed out, he is a little bit more though, like saying like, Oh, just because Hermione's not like running at it right now. That doesn't, that's not like a shortcoming. 
Oh yeah, that's a good point. I like that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's hard, to, hard for me to put my finger on all of it, but, um, yeah, I guess Fox, I like her, her kind of cry out where she's like, I was going to run in front of the Dementor to save Harry. I mean, I actually did start running and everything. That was stupid and courageous, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like that's the, the requisite. Yeah. I mean, maybe that, I think part of that, it, I think it, I would love to be able to spend more time putting this into words, but I don't want to spend the next half hour on Hermione's little interlude here. But um, it's, you know, certainly I, I think stupid and courageous doesn't quite sum it up. But it's like, no, you need to think about saving people or something yeah. first and foremost. And if that means recklessly putting yourself in danger, then that's then that's what it means. Uh, it's less about like, well, I've got, you know, I've my 50 year plan to to save 100 million people. It's like, well, great. I'll see you in 50 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does like your answer enough to, you know, fly out and touch her cheek, which I think is this right. nice, some, you know, uh, emotionally packed moment. For reasons I can fail to articulate, um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. So then Harry's like, oh, "I'm going." Harry's just like totally like done. He's yeah, like drained and done. He's like depressed about everything, and it's just like such a huge emotional drain to keep up all the bullshit. Um, so he's like, "Okay, I'm going to bed," and that's kind of. The, and then it just turns. It's like an aftermath with Fox, but it's not really so much an aftermath with Fox. It's just that we get to see that um, that Harry would be having just terrible Azkaban nightmares. Um, except that Fox is just sort of like psychically guarding him, at least for this one night. Um, he doesn't have nightmares because Fox is going to give him the good juju. Yeah, it's kind of cool. And I just think he'd be a really nice pet to have. But yeah. um, And it's interesting. He's not having, I, I guess they're pleasant, and, but not what I would describe as pleasant dreams. Yeah. Like when you read it out, it's like he dreamed about uh, the world on Intense. fire. Hogwarts, his home, the streets of Oxford, all on fire. But <laughs> no one's hurt by it. And it's like, it's just like this kind of pleasant Phoenix yeah. fire yeah, thing or Phoenix whatever. Fire, yeah. yeah. But I'm just like, huh, you described that dream and it sounds like a fucking nightmare. I know. Yeah. Well, and it's like the first parts you're reading, you're like, oh, that's not good. Right. You're like, oh, but they're all online. They're all light. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, so then, uh, that's, that's Fox's aftermath. Cut to Draco. I, my note for that was Fox's good burb. Burb. <laughs> Which Google doesn't try and autocorrect. It, it says, ah, that's an <laughs> internetism. Fine. That, that gets a pass. Um, then we get uh, Draco Malfoy's point of view in Aftermath here and this one's kind of fun I like his like he pointed out he does this whole thing where um, well I'm going to act like I'm the first one to breakfast I know I like it's just this sort of like like pointless like diversion into the brain of Draco that he like tries to make sure that he he times it just right so that when he shows up to eat at exactly the moment the food shows up to give the impression that the food was waiting for him uh, it was just funny because like okay that's ridiculous that's not gonna work like like how much mental energy does he spend on these like lame little narcissist ventures <laughs> like that. I, I i imagine for him is just like a background task that he has all yeah. the time yeah just like this stuff that he's expected to be doing constantly yeah it's great it's just tiring to be that important totally agree that sounds like a total yes. drag <laughs> but so we get so we get told that he so he got a letter from his father but we don't know yet what it was or what it's about and that he sort of just kind of gets filed away and we don't um uh we don't think about it too much at that point and then he's walking into breakfast and the whole world is losing their shit um and at first i wasn't sure i'm like wait did something happen but that's this is just basically like this is our first you know, view of, oh, and now everybody at Hogwarts finds out that Bellatrix Black has been released and 
and just like everything and then like oh probably Voldemort is coming back and so everybody's just freaking out and Draco comes in and he sees Professor Snape and he's like what the hell's going on and, and Snape is like didn't your father tell you he's like oh. he's like don't you read a newspaper um he basically just calls him an idiot yeah he, and, I can't remember he's, he's yeah for pity's sake Malfoy don't you have a newspaper delivered <laughs> it's just like for fuck's sake man don't you check your phone in the morning <laughs> yes um, yeah, so then there's just like doing the like eating breakfast thing, and he has a little interchange with uh, with the goons. Um, and there's like rumors floating around that like now everybody thinks because of everybody's seeing all the stuff with with Fox. Now they're thinking like, oh, Fox and Harry went to Azkaban to do battle and keep Bellatrix from escaping, which is ironic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of a funny, and then he like kind of gets into snipey little fights with other people going, oh, uh, Death Eater got released. You should be happy about that. Um, so that's, and it's just sort of this like, like shitty boarding school vibe at breakfast thing. Uh, but then he sees Harry walk in and I, don't, I didn't highlight this thing, but in all, something like in all tasteful speed or something, like he basically like walks as quickly as he can over to Harry while still making it look cool. Um, and he does this kind of like sneaky little, he just looks at Harry and keeps on walking as the like the little signal of, oh, we need to go over here and talk, but I'm not going to pretend like that's what we were doing. And then they just kind of um, go around the corner and that's when Draco, and that, that, then this is when we come back and like, oh yeah, he got a letter and we didn't know what that was about. Uh, and he shows the letter to, so he opens up the letter from Lucius and shows it to Harry. And it's, it's just like the one sentence, it's just like to Harry and it just says, I know it was you. Um, and that was it. And um, and what is it? Harry asked like <clears throat> asked Draco like, "Oh, are you gonna <clears throat> are you supposed to report back to your father like what my reaction was and like what are you gonna tell him?" He's like, "Well, I'm gonna tell him you're surprised." And Harry's like, "Yeah, that's good. Tell him I was surprised," which I thought was funny because like, okay, yeah, he totally was. But and Harry like without missing a beat, it just be like, "Okay, yeah, that's a good story. Let's let's call it that." I love that too. That's like exactly guy. if you learned that like, oh yeah, I'm gonna tell the cops what you say and how you react. Like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, what, are gonna, what are you going to tell him? Let's yeah, perfect. That. That's, that's good. And then it makes it sound like it's all part of your plan. Yeah. 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 The, the other thing I, I loved, and it's just a, it's a minor beat, but I, I wish that this was a, an expletive we used here uh, in whatever muggle America in 2020, but like it's uh, Vincent and he's like, Hey, I don't understand boss. Why did we do that? And he's like, we didn't do it. You dolt. <laughs> and dolt is just the funniest word dolt. for me. <laughs> I, I I think it's British for you fucking idiot. <laughs> idiot. Dolt's like an old word. Oh, I mean, I know I've heard it. I just I yeah. I wish it was more commonplace now because it's it's fun to say. Yeah. It has the same kind of bite to it as uh, a lot of good expletives, right? Yes. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, tell him I tell him I was surprised, and then like you said, uh, we don't. This isn't from Harry's point of view, but we get the impression that, like, oh, yeah, Harry's just trying to lie flat out to him, and yeah. he's not loving it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, mean, I think we get a little later, like, uh, <clears throat> that lying is like, just lying, just plain lying, the concept of lying is is hard for Harry. And it, to me, it seems, like, tied in with really, um, at least to me, it's, I guess strange is the wrong word, but it sticks out to me as uh, notable, um, like lying and making promises and like later we see and, and apologizing. There's these weird little sort of like bring your lawyer moments uh, that seem like really important to Harry. Um, and so it seems like that, like lying, even like if it was like morally unambiguous, 
uh, it still seems like there's just the flat fact of lying is hard for him. Um, not like deceit or dishonesty or, or being bad to people, but just the fact of having to say a thing that is not true is hard for him. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have a similar allergy to lying and I, I fortunately I've not been placed in a spot very often in my life where I have to just straight up lie to people. Um, you know, it was one thing in elementary school or whatever to lie to your teachers or something, but once you get to be an adult and are more responsible for your life, uh, mm. I've done a pretty good job of setting my life up in a way to where I don't have to lie. And I like that because lying makes me uncomfortable. So I just don't do it. And I feel like the world's a better place for it. Um, it's one of those obvious things that people say, oh, yes, lying is bad, but I lie all the time. Uh, or they mm. think, oh, that's not really a lie. Uh, you know, and there, there's half-truths and there's that sort of stuff. And I, I, I don't have any patience for any of that shit either. Like, yeah. I feel like you It's can weird. Just... Like, he's very, like, literal about it, though. Like, it's not, yeah, it's strange. Because it's not about, like, the underlying, like, I mean, because, like, the, the reason that lying is wrong is that it's used to further some kind of selfish end. Um which at least to me, like, I think, like, and, and, and it's a good rule, like, if you don't have to, like, fuck around with it, if you just say, okay, I don't lie. But it seems like it's really just, like, the very literal fact of it, um, almost in that it's, like, you know, in conflict with the truth um, that bothers him. You know, I don't even know if it's, like, significant to the story, but it sticks out to me um, a few times. Because it was, and I guess what I'm thinking back to is, like, his, um, his like, semi-fake apology um, before about... Uh, uh, to Snape um, and that whole like when he did like the little secret snappy thing um, <clears throat> that it was like somehow important to him that like what he said was quote technically true um, and that somehow made like the the bullshit apology fine and it was it was where like the technicality was important yeah it and like the flip side here is like oh, even though it's like more te- well I, I mean this is all kinds of fucked up and weird but like even if it wasn't fucked up and weird i still got the impression like it's just the like the technical the technicality of lying is hard for him regardless of like the moral background to it yeah no i i agree and you know as far as the whole like half truth and pretending and all this and that like i think yeah if you want to be a good slytherin you got to get good at that i don't like doing that either but that's just me yeah Um, well and i guess that's what what struck me as weird is that but like he, he uses it in a weaselly way too. like, oh, it's like he can be deceptive and selfish, but if he can do it without telling a falsehood, then that somehow makes it okay, Um, which it doesn't. So I I think uh, I know at least one listener, Inyash, will give me shit for bringing up Wheel of Time again. But there's this fun device there where like the, the magic users all take this oath that everybody knows that they've taken, that they can't speak a word that isn't true. And so it's like the one thing that they can say, no, look, yes, we're all shifty and weird magic users to you poor muggles. Um, They don't use the word muggles, but uh, you can at least be assured that when we tell you something flat out, we're being, we we literally can't lie. Um, Oh yeah, it's not just a regular oath. It's a magic oath. So Mm. uh, the the thing is though, is that they, they, they are practiced at this whole thing of, well, I can, you know, say no word that isn't true, true. but I can still be to, you know, hugely misleading. There was a great example in Sam Harris's short book called Lying, where, like, you could place a call to whatever Facebook's CEO office secretary and while you're taking a tour at the White House and be like, hey, my name is Steven Zuber. I'm calling from the White House. I'd like to speak to Mark Zuckerberg. And it's like, (laughs) those are all technically true sentences, right? 
but it is it is calculated to put in an image or yeah. to put a put a state of the world in the listener's mind that isn't reality, and that that's what I object to. Um, not just the you know saying it, yeah. false things. So anyway, um, I like how it just ends with you know we don't get the Harry's response, but Draco says, "Okay, hold on." People are also saying, and Harry's like, "What? What are they saying, Draco?" Like he's already worn out. It's first mm-hmm. thing in the morning, and he's like. Did a phoenix really take you to Azkaban and try and stop Bellatrix back from escaping? And <laughs> then, then we get the line break to Neville Longbottom. Neville. And I, I, lot, I think this is the first one where it's like, oh, damn. Well, first of all, I guess we didn't touch on uh, Lucius's note to Harry. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that was kind of all there was to it, though. It, was, it just says, I know you did it, and that's kind of it. And I guess they don't even know what it is, and, I, and Harry has to pretend he doesn't know what it is either. Well, I, th- I think um, he's probably guessing that, the, the Bellatrix thing. And I yeah, think we're probably guessing that too, but what the hell is Lucius talking about? Well, like, I mean, at least to me, I do it like Lucius is saying, I know you broke Bellatrix out of, like, I know that was all you that did all that. And we have no idea how he would know. Okay, um, yeah, that, that was my read too. Like, yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah, as far as like what he means, like, I know I know it was you. That's, yeah, that was how I took it. Yeah, but I, I, I just, I especially, you know, the first time through, you're sitting there like, wait. The hell? How the yeah. hell? Like, Lucius... Yeah, that's me. I'm like, why? Yeah, where you also be like, well, I guess you would say like, oh, you don't really know that. But even if like, why would he even guess? Like, why is that, Why does he think he knows that? Um, yeah, and it seems like wildly implausible. So there's got to be like, there's something we don't know. Um, but then also like, like, why is he like, why? <laughs> like, if he if he if he knows it was Harry, why is he telling Harry that he knows? Because what does he hope to get out of it? Um, that is exactly the question I wanted an answer to and I put that out to the spoilers chat to see if I could get a good one and I still haven't yet Um, (laughs) I've got a the inklings of a semi-satisfactory answer what was that? maybe he's just trying to rattle him I guess yeah I don't know but yeah I guess but if he does know yeah it's weird because if he does know that it's Harry and broke out Bellatrix then he would be seeing Harry as an ally now um, you would and think. so then why would he say this that's just because like, it's like the letter especially when it's like just one sentence um, just seems like it's designed to rattle him but so then why is he trying to rattle Harry well and it wasn't like I know it was you comma friend like it, yeah it, so like I don't know so everything about the letter seems threatening right yeah and it's like okay well uh great so all right I just wanted to point out that I'm confused you're confused it's a great place yeah. to be so all right <laughs> yeah because if he knows it's him then he should be thinking of him as an ally now <clears throat> yeah so yeah why, why you gotta why you gotta fuck with him what's going on man um all right let's see here so we have uh neville, neville longbottom and i liked this one it was the the first kind of big shock one because then when we you know we know it's about neville before harry does obviously yeah. because we get to read the book and he gets to live it so uh <laughs> Like when when it mentions his name, I get this sneaking feeling in my stomach, and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, shoot, and yeah. there's like this this scream, muffled scream from the from a table next to Harry. Was that supposed a, to be Neville screaming? Like, what was the? Yeah, it okay. it says that like there were you know some people still screamed in the found at the news, but Harry recognized this shriek, and mm-hmm. uh, he goes over there and. Neville's got himself under control. He's clawing at his food and scratching his silverware and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to hunt her down and kill her. Hey. Or what at first he says, he just kind of nonchalantly. Hello, General. Hello, General. Did you fight a duel with Bellatrix Black last night? No. (laughs) 
didn't think so. Mm. I'm going to hunt her down and kill her. Can I count on you for help? And um, man, Harry, I, so Harry's I like, overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. I also like too, cause there's right before that, uh, this Hufflepuff said with bitter intensity is also your fault. And so like, if he wasn't feeling shitty enough already, he's like, Oh God damn it. And I, I love it. I think it, it lands great. And, um, then Harry says, uh, as far as can I kind of need help me, you know, hunt her down and kill her. And he's like, if she comes after you, he says out loud. And then inside he says, if it was all a terrible mistake, if it was all a lie. Then he says out loud again, I'll defend you even with my life again, uh, in his head, won't let you get hurt for what I did, no matter what. Out loud again. I'm sure this is annoying to listen to, but I can't think of another way to convey it. In the audiobook, Inyash puts an echo, which lets you know, but I can't do that. So he says, but I won't help you go after her, Neville. Friends don't help friends commit suicide. And Harry, Neville, smartly, is like, I didn't mean now. I meant after I graduate Hogwarts. <laughs> and it's like, no, okay, at least he's thinking ahead. Way less dangerous. What was that? And when it will be way less dangerous. Right, yeah. Then it's only like... Uh, when he's 18 and a man. Yeah, exactly. Once I once I start shaving and stuff, then I'm ready to go start <laughs> killing people. And it's like, yeah, your lack of facial hair isn't what's sending it between you and killing Bellatrix Black. I, I don't know, man. I did like, though, we get to go back and we're sort of like immediate. Like, we skipped the whole dorky loser Neville and we went straight to badass Neville. Um, and I like, you know, I like any time. We, well, we got the dorky loser Neville. at the beginning, but he, he it didn't take him seven years to yeah, get there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also this kind of fun throwaway that uh where uh he so he goes over to the gryffindor table and he's this isn't the throwaway part but he he asks them he's like all right i'll ask the gryffindors and he goes over and asks them and there's at least five people who are like i'm all in and then you hear ron weasley saying get in line you lot i got an owl from mom this morning she's tell she says (laughs) to tell everyone that she's called dibs and then someone's like what molly weasley against bellatrix black who does he even think she's kidding and (laughs) that's fun for us because uh well then again in the books, she's running on rage. Was it Bellatrix who killed one of the Weasley twins? Uh, Probably. I can't remember now. It would yeah. at least explain yeah, why Molly gets bloodlusted and kills her. Yeah. Um, which I am going to just stand up and say, not only Bias as an, as an identical twin, but I feel like killing off one Weasley twin was a stupid writing decision. Who is that? I, I think, I don't know. They're they're a unit. And That's maybe it is. more tragic. Huh? That's what made it more tragic. I guess. And it it kept, is more tragic. Whichever Fred or Joe, whichever one of them lived, um, it kept them from being like all flippant, like it's, which is like their only language, but now he can't be all... I know, it's, it's sort of like he lost a limb. Yeah, and as, as an identical twin, I identify with that too strongly to let that compute, so I'm going to just call it bad writing. <laughs> but no, I, 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 you know, like I, like I said, I'm jokingly being biased. I think it would, I mean, it would have been cool, cooler for me anyway, um, if after whichever Weasley twin died, the other one gets up, grabs his wand and the dead brother's wand and whatever, does the equivalent of a suicide bomb into the horde of Death Eaters <laughs> or something, right? Yes. But that's just me. We'll push past that because this got, it got its own little lampshade here. So um, then Harry sits down. I don't, a secret note. Yeah, secret note, which uh, From LL, is a lot of fun. Is, uh, LL Cool J. Oh, I forgot. I forgot to, to. I don't know. You know what? Actually, we'll save the discussion of our side project until we get to the bottom of it. How's that sound? Our side project. Because, well, I guess I'll let this part out. We've been communicated with through the Slytherin delivery system, and. Oh uh, yes, that's. Yeah. So we will. Uh, 
once we figure all this stuff out, we'll we'll keep everyone. I didn't the click. The, yes, they're they're doing a very good job. I didn't. Yeah, because you're totally right about the uh, the little Slytherin delivery system. I didn't. That didn't click for me until you mentioned it. Well, I I think I picked up on it immediately because I recognized mm. it from the story. Yeah. Where all right, we'll use a couple of intermediaries, and then no one will know who sent the message. Mm-hmm. Which uh, yeah, it it makes figuring out who's behind this all the more fun. So mm-hmm. someone's behind this, and it's great. We're having a good time. So thanks. Um, Anyway, he gets a note that signed Someone L-L. possibly in Germany or Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. Or, or behind a proxy. Yeah, if you let them know that we're trying to trace them, then they'll, oh. they'll up their game. Which is actually kind of fun, because basically the Slytherin system delivery is essentially like a VPN. I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's more like Tor. Uh, I mean... You get past, you get, you get past from, from server to server that doesn't know where you originated from. And then what the I always use them in tandem. Doesn't isn't the VPN saying, "Oh, I'm actually, actually I'm in Germany." Uh, well, yeah, the VPN really is in Germany, but the the VPN the VPN is just refusing to tell people. But the uh, in the tour thing, like they literally don't know. Like only the person right right next to you knows where you came from. Okay, you don't know where yeah. you're going. And then the point of using that with something like a VPN is that then your actual location is impossible, even if we chase down through yeah. each level. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess that deal with tours nobody has to trust anybody else with Love vpn you're you're trusting your vpn provider right on well luckily i'm not up to anything too nefarious so anyway harry gets a note signed from ll that says classroom to the left of transfiguration eight in the morning and did you have a guess i mean or did you read too fast before you guessed or before uh no it wasn't that, no but i was like L, yeah i couldn't think of it either and i had i had forgotten about lasat so when he said luna love i'm like oh i guess have we, and i like even in my head, I'm like, oh, I guess we've already met Luna. Okay, but yeah. So yeah, I did. it worked on me as far as not knowing it was Lasoth until it got there. It's kind of funny and sad that Harry also forgot about Lasoth, even though he's like yeah. had a conversation with him. And um, well, and he's totally like not. He's he's basically an NPC. He's such a dork that <laughs> he's not to be taken seriously. Yeah, he goes he goes full. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take Lasoth's interludes since I did Neville's. Uh, yeah, so he goes, so he meets, so it's like, oh, meet me in the blah, blah room at eight, eight o'clock tomorrow. And so, um, and because it's from LL, uh, Harry thinks he's going to meet Luna Lovegood in the morning. And so he goes to the room and Lasoth is there and Lasoth is all like robed up and stuff too, isn't he? I guess, but, um, well, like he, he, it looks like he'd been beaten up that morning. And stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We didn't really get any like background as to what that was about, did we? Well, I'm assuming all the same bullies who pick on him for having Bellatrix Black as a mom probably found him that morning and, you know, said oh, she got yeah, out okay. and I'm going to kick the shit yeah. out of you. Yeah. Because bully's going to bully. Bully's going to bully. Um, so, yeah, he, and he, he, like, he casts a couple, like, quietus and blah, 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 like, oh, we want to be alone charms. I'm also, um, I'm going to interject just very briefly that it feels like Hogwarts has a bullying problem if you can get <laughs> your ass whooped so hard that even, like, a simple healing spell doesn't cover up all the damage. Oh, that's true. Like... What the hell is going on, right? Like, don't they have magical detection for, you know, damage or something for students where it's like, all right, this kid got hit in the face. I'm going to send uh, a teacher there right now or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Just I, think, I think I'm watching, like, more brutal bullies are if they know that, you know, there's a Madame Pomfrey around. Like, well, yeah, and, the, and, and, they're, and they're more resistant to physical break damage. His legs. Right, yeah. That that one where like when they when they when he rescued him they were gonna pretending to dangle him out that window. Yeah. If it was like three stories, he probably would survive. So like that might just be yeah. the kind of thing you could do if you're a bully. They can grow fingers back, can't they? Sure. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I anyway, uh, pushing yeah. past all all of that. 
But yeah, so he shows up and then like it's totally over the top. Like Lasoth is, oh, but he keeps calling Harry my lord, and I am your servant, and I'm sorry I ever doubted you, and blah blah blah, and like my life. And there's some like very death eatery oath is something like my life is yours, and so is my death, or something something. Um, and Harry's like, no, I didn't. Harry's like got to keep up with the lies. He's like, it wasn't me, and Lasoth just doesn't believe him. He's like, okay, yeah, whatever you say wasn't you you didn't have anything to do with it he's like i'm not your lord whatever you say my lord <laughs> um, and it reminded there's there's like several like fight club things going on here but yeah it reminded me of the same thing when he's like i'm not tyler durden it's like, okay you whatever you say sir it's fantastic um yeah and i mean the whole image of lasoth and it describes him as like his his he's bowed so deep i'm assuming he's had to get on hands and knees and his forehead's yeah. touching the ground and he's just saying all this to the floor while Mm. you know licking the floor that harry potter walked in on and said, thanks for saving my mom and, and it's like i also like in the parentheses each time harry lies to him it says it was still very hard to tell an outright lie like that and then then the next one yeah. but it got easier each time but <laughs> i thought it's another thing is again it's like not important but it sticks out for me so as so after he leaves um then uh, it's another like Harry's little internal voices that he's irritated with, but one of his internal voices says, "Yay, we completed a quest and got a minion," <laughs> uh, which was which was funny. Um, uh, but it like still sticks out to me that, uh, and it reminded me the other times when, when Harry again talking to his inner voices was like, "Well, anybody would find this level of loyalty super appealing," uh, which is like, again I guess true, but I don't know if it's it's either me or Tietkowski. One of us is I think off on the is off of the average that uh, he seems like super fascinated with people being uh, super loyal to him or having minions. Um, Cause for me, I'm like, I guess that would be okay, but it's not really like a thing. So it's just, I just thought it was funny again. So I don't I mean, know if like I am less minion focused than the average person or if Yudkowsky is more minion focused than the average person. And I, I guess I'm not sure with only those two data points where I lie. I think the idea of having a minion would be awesome. Uh, again, only fully granting that it is 100% their will and all this and that. You know, like if I had a robot butler that would do anything I wanted, like I would love yeah. that. It would be so relaxing to have have a robot that's like, hey, uh, go get go go pick up my groceries, go get my laundry. Uh, I mean, there's a reason people have had, you know, like why lords and stuff throughout history had servants, right? I guess, I mean, yeah, and I, could, I could see that. I mean, it would be like, like oh, if I had a million dollars, like having a Porsche would be cool. But if I had a million dollars, I don't know that a Porsche would be the thing I would spend it on. I would I mean, never spend money. money on a car. Like, exactly. See, it's just like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. It's just, you know, it's not my thing. Yeah. And when I say money, I mean like real money. Like, I don't know. I think my most expensive car cost eight grand. Yeah, and I've never actually bought a new car. I I, I can't. I, I've, you know, I see people drive around for whatever reason. Well, back when people left the house, you know, once every <laughs> week or two. I'd see, you know, an expensive Lamborghini or some, you know, I don't live in a nice area. I mean, I live in a, I guess, not shit area, but it's just people will have them and drive them around. And I'm like, why would you spend six figures on a car that's going to sit in the same traffic I'm sitting in? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I guess, so yeah, I'm getting at is if I had to pick, I, I'd start buying servants. But I mean, even if it was just like <laughs> what people do on the small scale, you know, people pay for house cleaners, people pay for uh, grocery delivery, people pay for... Uh, massages I don't yeah, know I see it's more like it, it's not like oh I've got a maid or anything it, it seems like the fascination is sort of more about like having somebody that like you know a minion like oh they're completely subservient to you and it's more than just like <laughs> oh I don't have to mow my lawn it's like oh this person will like lick did, my boots literally did you ever play Elder Scrolls Oblivion I did not because I feel like a discussion of RPGs is important for minions um 
he, he's kind of useless, but you get the, if you win through the, uh, the, it's, it's been so long. It's not the fighters guild. It's like the, the, it's like a, it's a gladiator tournament. Mm-hmm. If you become the champion, you, you get like the fanatic devoter, the devoted follower who will do whatever you say. And he'll, he'll like follow you around to the torch and be like, Oh, what's up? You know, grand champion or grandmaster, whatever he calls you. And, uh, he, it, the, the meme is that it's really funny to try and get him in situations where he gets killed or, you know, throw him off of roofs and stuff or something, but, um, cause he'll, he'll, he'll come back. But, uh, the, anyway, uh, minions as a request for, as a, as a reward for a quest, I think happen in video games. And it could just be that, you know, Harry slash the author played those and it's like, okay, oh, yeah, I, I beat this, this hard quest and now I get a minion who will carry my, my stuff. Um, whatever it is. So, all right. We did Lasoth. I'm going to take Amelia Bones, which is, uh, I guess I got off fairly easy. Um, she's hanging out with a healer who's analyzed, or I don't know, who's finished their analysis of the one of the, I think it might be the only Auror um, who got... Yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah, somebody got fucked up by the, by the rocker. Right. And it's kind of a drag because, like, again, this is also Harry's fault. And, you know, if he knew, I bet he'd be devastated. Um, but basically, she learns that, oh, yeah, it was transfigured ice. Uh, so this, this was done with the intention of mitigating damage. And she's like, well, how very nice of them. And then, <laughs> then like, she's thinking to her head in her head, she's like, no, it, it had been intended as a kindness. Like at the end of the That's escape, bad. there wouldn't be any point in trying to pretend it to be nice. Like whoever had been done this or wh- whoever had done this had been trying to mitigate the damage. Yeah. And they'd been thinking of terms of R is breathing the smoke, not anyone being attacked with the fire. And then she's thinking if if they had been the ones still driving it, they would have no doubt steered the rocker more mercifully, yeah. which just turns out it's hard to steal a ro- steer a rocker. Um, <laughs> and, well, it's like in like this where she ends up is like oh, and the, so these are more signs that it's Voldemort, but like it's never like, never part of her thinking is oh, I wonder if Bellatrix Black is is not as evil as we thought. Like that's not on the table for anybody. Oh hell um, no! Nah. Yeah, so they didn't. And so I get that's more than like, oh, this has got something to do with Voldemort then. Um, but they don't really like that's about as far as it goes. They don't they don't think about like, oh, because it's it's definitely all like, especially once you line it all up, like, oh, this is all weird. And it, like, because we know it's like, oh, this totally looks like Harry stuff. Um, but yeah, they don't. Get, she doesn't really go much beyond, oh, this couldn't have just been Bellatrix. Yeah. Well, I mean, in I guess in her defense, she has no idea of the so, sort of things that Harry Harry Potter is supposed to be capable yeah, of doing, right? Um, this this all it adds up. That, like, for... Dumbledore totally should, especially the Transfiguration stuff. Like, although I guess maybe he doesn't know that yet. He knows about the partial Transfiguration because Harry demonstrated it to him in his office. Yeah, but does he know but... that that was done with the rocket? No, and yeah. the 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 ice to uh, rocket fuel wasn't partial Transfiguration. I think that was. OG sure, transfiguration. Yeah, um, yeah it, uh, it would seem like once he learns about this, because probably he'll be in the loop about it. Um, like, if I was Dumbledore, this would, this would add to my Harry's behind this thing. Yeah. But at this point, he's convinced it was Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, and I guess, like, they're going with the kind of lame thought that's like, oh, this because Voldemort has learned from Harry, and that's why he's starting to use muggle technology. Yeah, well, and like the whole, um, uh, my, my wit was overestimated, so it must have been yeah. Voldemort. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Madam Bones kind of concludes like, okay, yeah, well, uh, once the, uh, whatever poor captor that they brought in to, or poor, uh, hostage that they brought in to help escape her 
had finished her usefulness, I guess Belichick must have killed them, and uh, she rode that thing out of there by herself. And uh, then she says that, I wonder who it was and how you know who manipulated them. Well, she's saying this to herself. What story could possibly have been told? And she didn't realize until a moment later that the thought meant she was starting to believe. Perhaps because, no matter how difficult it was to believe Dumbledore, it was becoming more difficult to not recognize that cold, dark intelligence. Yeah. I like this take turns thing. You take Dumbledore. All right. So then we cut to this one's pretty short, too. We cut to Dumbledore goes to breakfast. Uh, and I get like, I've lost all track. There's been a lot of time turning going on and he's only got like three minutes left to get to breakfast. Um, and Flitwick stops him in the hallway. And what does he say? He said, uh, Mr. Potter said that after he woke up, he realized how unfair had been the things he said to you after Fox screamed. Mr. Potter said that he wasn't saying anything about anything else, just apologizing for that one part. Uh, and I think that was like the entire purpose for this scene. And it just struck me as again, like this is what I was talking about before, like lying. Like it's all very like, so he's going to apologize, but it's very like brought his lawyer. Like I'm only apologizing for this and not for the other thing, but I am apologizing. And it's all like, they're so, like they're very like anal and, you know, like, like it's going to, like there's going to be some official accounting for this stuff later. And he's only going to apologize for like the one little thing. Um, it's just strictly again, just sort of really weird, kind of overly literal way of looking at things. <laughs> I think he's uh, like I I agree. It's 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 one of those like calculated apologies where yeah. like you don't say I'm sorry about last night because then it's like oh they feel bad and they recognize mm-hmm. that I'm right. Harry's explicitly saying I'm sorry about the things I said after Fox screamed at you. So he's not saying that I'm wrong. I, he's not saying that uh, I'm sorry about. Uh, the rest of it, he's, he's just saying, sorry about the things I said specifically mm. in this time window, which is, which one is like, nice, a, it's like, uh, a, like an emotionally illiterate thing to do. Like if, if, if this were like an actual real thing in real life, that is worse than not apologizing. Yeah, it's one of those apologies that you give yeah. if you're like a politician who, you know, got in trouble or if you're a kid who got in trouble and is forced to apologize to, to the student yeah. you bullied or something. It's, it's not like, bitch, quite, that's not a real it's, apology. It's almost a, I'm sorry you feel that way. Exactly. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um. Let's see. I get the next. Oh wait, I guess the the fun. I it just kind of adds to it, that that one gives like the easy. the Dumbledore one anyway gives the quick like overview of how stressful Dumbledore's day has been. We don't get exactly why, but we can guess it's probably with all the shit that's going on. Yeah. But it took him four time turns to make it to breakfast, which means <laughs> he's been crazy busy all morning for to- you know for uh, at least a couple of times, mm-hmm. and then he sits down three seconds before all the food disappears. Yeah. It's, like, it's, four, it's four times. That also means it's, it feels like lunch to him. So, yeah, and I, you know, I bet he can just order food. But he he tried to make it to breakfast, and things have been so hectic that even with four extra hours squeezed in, he still didn't make it. So, I'll take the next two, just because Professor Quirrell's interlude is one basically one sentence. Um, it's just uh, Madame Pomfrey telling Harry to go fuck off. It says, "No, you can't see him. You can't pester him. You may not ask him one little question. He is in bed and is to do nothing for at least three days." So, at some point, Harry tried to go talk to Professor Quirrell and was kicked out of there. Um, then we get uh, uh, Professor McGonagall's aftermath, which is this nice, it's, you know, five short sentences, but it's, uh, yeah. she was heading to the infirmary, and Harry Potter was leaving it, and they pass each other. And he gives her, like, this look that isn't, like, angry, wasn't sad, it's just, like, he's looking at her just to make it clear that he it's wasn't not at looking at her. And then she kind of doesn't have time to figure out what sort of look to give him, and... Um, what I, what I like I know, about this is like, weird. 
it's kind of sad because it's yeah. like um it, it's like it says uh he didn't say anything as he walked past her neither did she what could there possibly be to say and this blows like, me it's, out it's, it's like as if like he'd seen his ex in a restaurant or something <laughs> uh yeah i mean it's w- w- without the rest of the baggage that comes with it yeah kind of yeah. um it's just like yeah i guess we're not talking and uh and that's yeah we'll just that's it yep um anyway so that was that was theirs and then we get the one the badass one with fred and george weasley fred and george and yeah and so this this is the other one i was thinking of. dumbledore still in full like gandalf mode um what did you pull the quote? Fred and George Weasley spake Dumbledore in a voice of power. I want to capitalize too. Capital V voice, capital P power. I love um, it so much. Yeah. I don't know. Like, spake, I'm pretty spake, sure, isn't real English. Yeah. Although, no, it's old English. Um, yeah, because, I mean, uh, Google also doesn't call that out as misspelled. But I've literally never heard the word outside of this. It is clearly something Dumbledore picked up a century ago. Yeah, and it's just, again, it's just him being full on, like, I am that most powerful badass you've been hearing about. And, uh, he, I, it's, it's great. Nothing yeah. else to add. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but what Dumbledore is, like he is still, oh yeah. And they're all freaked out. Cause he's like still dressed up in all black and intimidating. Um, and, but, and like he snuck up on them all practically. And so they're like, Oh shit. Um, but he's like, his whole point for this conversation is to let them know because he knows that they are these sneaky ones. And that if Harry was going to try to, uh, sneak off of campus um, it would probably involve them and so he's just kind of gone to them and said like you need like Harry's life is in danger and you really 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 need to not help him ever leave the grounds because he will get killed um, but that like the line that I pulled from it that I liked he's, he, because he's basically like you know I'm as Gryffindor as you and uh, and he says I know that there are higher rules than rules um, so he's like yeah so he sympathizes with their getting in trouble uh, vibe, but he's like, yeah, I know you're, you, I know you are those guys, and I don't even disapprove of you being those guys. But you can't do this one thing. Um, and so he's just kind of, and and they're even like, oh, okay. And he's like, no, don't just say, oh, okay, because I'm spaking at you in a voice of power. <laughs> um, don't believe that's the correct use of that word, but. Um, uh, and so, I mean, that, so that was really like basically the point of this little interchange was, and they, and then we do another one of those like, oh, they look at each other and they have the twin power of both thinking the same thing. And uh, so they like figure out that like oh because Bellatrix black, um, but yeah we're just sort of like tying up that loose end of okay we're Fred and George are on board now. Yeah, it it also like Dumbledore gets to do that thing where he gets to tell the, you know he gets to deliver the message with a semi falsehood. They guess it's Bellatrix black, and he says you may safely assume that it is at least that bad, <laughs> which he's not saying correct because Bellatrix. He's saying yep, it's at least as bad as that, uh, which is it, it's not it's not even. Uh, calculated lies just uh, he, he doesn't want to full on obviously tell them what he believes to be going yeah. on I also just love I, I, I stop if I start reading the whole thing um, but I, I love basically everything that he says because it's in it's in high Gandalf speak <laughs> and listen to me sons of Weasley I beg you to listen you know I am as Gryffindor as yourselves that I too know there are higher rules than rules but this Fred <laughs> and George this is the one thing of most terrible importance there must be no exception this time small or great if you help Harry Potter to leave Hogwarts he may die does he send you on a mission you may go does he ask you to bring him items you may help but if he asks you to smuggle out his own person or if he asks you, asks you to smuggle out his 
his own person out of Hogwarts, you must refuse. Do you understand? <laughs> and then when they were like, they think they, so they immediately answer yes. Then he says, no, not, you're not answering without thinking. Um, he's, uh, if he asks you to, to tell him the way you must refuse, I will not ask you to report him for that. I know you would never do, but beg him on my behalf to go to me. If it is of such great importance and I will guard him as he walks. Uh, <laughs> like, and, and it, it sounds really corny when I do it, but it sounds so badass when Dumbledore does it. And so like, like especially cause he's like the sincerity with he said that he says the line, there are higher rules than rules. Well, and just like everything else too. Yeah. I mean, everything about it. Does he ask you to leave? You may go. Does he ask you to <laughs> send him items? You may, you may help. And then, uh, but you know, if it is such importance, then I will guard him as he walks. And I just picture like Dumbledore literally standing there with his wand over him as a shield <laughs> while, while Harry walks somewhere. And like, again, so it, 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 it is not intended that way, I don't think. And it doesn't read that way. But when you're, uh, when you're squinting like I was through it, then um, it, it gives, it, you can read it in a kind of funny way. Yeah. No, I thought it was funny. Even when I read it, I thought it was, it's pretty like, yeah. It's, it's funny, but the gravity little, is there. Yeah. Does that work? Meant, you can have it, it both it ways. It's a little wacky. Yeah. There's no, there, I don't think there's a rule of literature saying you can't be both funny and have it be heavy. Nah. Nah. All right. Perfect. Um, Right. Well, I guess, and then a fairly at least. So the, next, it's uh, Moody and Snape at the um, at the graveyard. What's what's the name of the place? Anyway, at the graveyard where uh, uh, where Voldemort or where Tom Riddle's grave is. Tom Where's Riddle's uh, father's grave. I forget what uh, his yeah, dad's yeah. name was. Um, but what was weird, like to me, like this uh, this aftermath section went on for a fair amount, but it wasn't a, not a lot going on. It was just. Uh, Moody and Snape, they're basically like trying to poison the uh, the grave. Um, they're like going to every grave they think might be Vold- might be the is it, so is it Voldemort's grave? Like his body or is it, I kind of it's, it's his it. it's his dad's grave oh, so is one of the one of the ingredients for the resurrection ritual that Voldemort actually uses in the fourth book was uh, the bone of the ancestor. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Unknowingly bequeathed. Bequeathed. And so uh, apparently there's all these kinds of magical constraints on it where you can't get the bone in advance and hide it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, and apparently for whatever reason, his father's bone would be more potent than anyone else's bone. So they're spending the most time on that one, but they, they've at the end of it, it comes out that they've poisoned every other grave in the graveyard and all of his other ancestors just to be, just to be mm-hmm. sure. But this is the one that they come back and dose every year with all this stuff. And I got to just Including pull out. I- the, Iocane powder. Yeah, the Iocane powder, but on on the near the top is where like so, uh, Moody is like kind of like spinning in place and keeping an eye on everything, uh, but it's secretly pointless spinning because the eye of Vance can see the whole globe all the time, no matter which mm-hmm. way he's facing. And what I love about it is that uh, at some point he lost his left eye fighting uh, dark wizards or something, mm-hmm. and then uh, <laughs> uh, he has some. He has this this whatever book smart Ravenclaw for him, put together a list of all the best uh, magical eyes, and the eye advanced at the top of the list. So he goes and he liberates some hellhole from some dark wizard to, to acquire the eye advance, and he had lost his left foot doing so, and he had considered going after the left foot advance next, <laughs> but that would be just what they were expecting. Is eye advance original? I don't remember. I, 
I can Google it and find out. I, that, it's like, it's not from you just had a uh, the Canada, I don't think so. Um, yeah. But I just love that, A, it implies that there's left foot of Vance. <laughs> and so it makes you wonder what super fucking magic powers that would have if the if the eye of Vance can see the whole globe at once. Are but the then fuzzy dice of Vance? <laughs> But then he, he doesn't. He decides against it because that's what they were expecting. <laughs> so so Moody lives. He's he's built a uh, a shack at the top of the ladder of paranoia, and he just lives there. And I love it so much. Every, everything they, about it. Non-specific they. And of course, not only is he pointlessly spinning uh, in place, but he's also invisible, and so <laughs> like no one can see him pointlessly spinning, but he's doing it all just in case. Everything in Moody's mind is just in case. I forgot. I forgot he was invisible too. There you go. And, and like even at the end of it, um, he's like. So then I also like this too. It's like Moody had once worked out how long it would, how long it had taken him in retrospect to achieve what he now considered to be a decent level of caution, and weighed up how much experience it had taken him to get good instead of lucky. And he'd begun to suspect that most people died before getting where, before before they got there. And he expressed that thought to his Ravenclaw friend, Lyle, who had done some ciphering and figuring and told him that typical dark wizard hunters would die, on average, eight and a half times on the way, on, <laughs> along the way to becoming paranoid. This explained a great deal, assuming Lyle wasn't lying. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in, in Mad-Eye's mind is, and if, if you ever get bored at work, and like, or, just, or you know, any regular life conversation having with somebody, just like add in your head, be like, oh, that's what they want me to think, and <laughs> oh, that that okay, they're trying to trick me, and you do it for five minutes, and I, I, I can't, I can't do it for thirty seconds without cracking up, but it is just the funniest like frame to live in. But of course, Moody is doing it because he's been chasing dark wizards for a century, and this level of paranoia served him well, and he's a, he's a perfect character. I love everything about him, but I just think like living like that and being like. Um, I mean, just, you know, drive, going through the drive-thru. Okay, that'll be, you know, uh, $6.99. Oh, that's what she wants me to think. <laughs> you think? You got to, like, Moody, Moody's a prepper. Oh, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, his, his ladder at the top of the, or his cabin at the top of the ladder of paranoia is really just a decoy, and his other one's somewhere else. <laughs> that's right. He works at InfoWars. The other thing, I, so then, and Snape is, like, all of the silly things he's poisoning the gray with but then the one uh he's uh got a potion of lsd that he's poisoning with and i like that like describe like lsd is just this mysterious muggle thing that he knows nothing about and he says like and, and i was told that uh somebody who has you can't explain it to somebody who has never experienced it and i've never even experienced it but i got a bottle of it and i just like the idea that he has like a bottle of lsd so he's got like a you know a vial full of enough lsd to you know Dose, dose all, of, city. all of England, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which would be sort of like the wizard scale of doing it. It's like, well, I don't know, like, how about like, like a, a pint? Let's do a pint of LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it says that a conversation that he had yesterday put him in mind of muggle things. Where the hell did he get a bottle of LSD today? <laughs> for for those oh, outside the loop, LSD is typically consumed in the tens of micrograms. Which are thousands of grams, and maybe hundreds of micrograms, but it's you know 150 micrograms, 200. So it's you know, whatever. My, my point is, is that it's consumed in quantities so vanishingly small that it's basically impossible to detect. I guess so, I suppose it could be like a like a diluted. I guess there was apparently a thing called a five dollar beer was what it used to be called back in like the, I guess this is like from the 60s or 70s when a tab of acid was like five bucks, but that's. Um, 
I hear ex- what they're still about cost. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's been a while. Of course, five bucks um, goes goes further, you know, in the sixties than it does now. So now they're exactly. cheaper. But I guess it was they call it a five dollar beer because it was the quote gag to uh, slip a tab of acid into somebody's beer. And that, yeah, which, that would be so a, fucked up. Can you imagine being like a twelve hour acid trip against your will? That'd be a complete nightmare. Oh Half the God. time, it's it's a drag, even when you start yeah. the morning on purpose. Um, you know, of course, speaking hypothetically, because we're both you know God fearing, country loving patriots who don't use drugs. But if we no, were, it's like a statute of limitations. I dropped course. acid in like the eighties, so I'm not going to be in trouble for that. Yeah, me too. Um, it, you dropped acid in the eighties. Like, yeah, where. Like halfway through the day in my hypothetical experience, you're like, all right, well, that was fun. I'm kind of done. Then you look at the clock and you're like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, I got I five more hours like, of this oh shit. Oh my God, I'm going to be insane for the yeah. rest of my life. So a $5 beer as a gag gift, like, I mean, that, I know, that's, that's a shit, shit move. It's, it's like, all right, cool. You're going to be as me- you're going to be differently messed up than you were if we had given you a, a really big beer, I guess. And it's going to last for the next uh, half a day. All right. See you half tomorrow. I know. You're like, I'm done. I want I want to come down now. Oh. Yeah. There's leprechauns in the tree. <laughs> anyway. It's like three in the morning. Can't get to sleep. And there's leprechauns in the tree. Tell me about yeah. it. Um, oh, so there's, angry, uh, leprechauns. there's this long um, kind of back and forth about like, all right, what's in the bottles? And why can't we move the bones? And he explains that like it has to be taken during the ritual and not before for I guess, lucky reasons. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, so one of the flasks is Iocane powder, okay. um, which is a reference to uh, Princess Diaries. Wait. Pr- Princess <laughs> Excuse <laughs> no, me. Just leave it there. No, I think if somebody doesn't get it, they just fuck them. Like, you know. Fair, fair enough. That's a cultural oh, totem. That's a I forgot. I wanted totem. to call it Balls Stupefaction. I'm not sure oh, what yeah, Ball what is. That? It's B-H, B-A-H-L. But it's this potion that apparently ups your Slytherin tendencies and uh, I don't I guess it's an addictive narcotic but it, it affects people's Slytherin tendencies that makes them go like extra extra Slytherin and it, then it makes fun of the entire plot of the fourth book where um, like a port key is a one way ticket mm-hmm. and so rather than flip Harry a fucking canut at the beginning of the movie he makes him win the Triwizard Tournament <laughs> so that he can touch the cup and then then at this then at the end of it it's a uh, to this day, even taking the drug into account, Moody could not imagine what could possibly have been going through the man's head at the time he cast the second Portis. So, like, why have the cup also take them back is the, <laughs> is the other funny part. Um, but then there's this whole thing where uh, Moody's like, wait, hold on. How do you know this is really where? And then Snape says, because it says Tom Riddle. I guess Tom's dad's name was also Tom. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's why it was confusing. Um, so it's a So, basically... Snape is, or Moody is asking, wait, how do we know this is actually the graveyard? And then Snape says, because it says Tom Riddle on the easily moved headstone. And I just won 10 sickles from the headmaster who who bet you would have thought that before the fifth bottle. So much for constant <laughs> vigilance. And then how long did it take Albus to realize? And he says, three years after we learned of the ritual. In retrospect, we should have consulted you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, was it? Moody that decided that like oh probably this entire graveyard wasn't originally here like because he can't move his own grave so he would just have moved the entire graveyard except for his grave so that you think you're in the wrong place yeah that's Moody's thought so he's like all right well this was fucking pointless but they (laughs) go ahead and finish out the day it seems like and then we get this you know a couple little throwaway interludes I think to kind of 
bring us into the last one, um, the Blaze Zabini one. So he mm. enters the common, the Slytherin common room, and there's uh, it says it can be precisely described as a remilitarized zone, and there's like there's clearly a halfway point where like uh, half of the room is is on board with this whole Bellatrix Blackwing refreed, and the other half isn't. And then because Zabini has a reputation, he sits down in the exact middle and just starts doing his homework. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I, the bringing up Zabini, though, I was like, I'm like, oh, yeah, we got all these, like, little loose ends going on. Because there's still that hole when he was, like, obliviated by Sith Kermit in the hallway. <laughs> um, because, that, like, that's, like, uh, that one was, like, totally dropped in as, like, as a very obvious something is going on. Because here's this character you've never heard before and he's fucking with people's brains. Um, that was just sort of like dropped and completely walked away from. Uh, we're like, oh yeah, that one's still going on, and that seems like forever, forever ago. Yeah, it does. Um, that would have been after the Christmas battle, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I, <laughs> Sith Kermit. That's going to be my favorite thing forever. <laughs> um, and then we get the most interesting aftermath, which is Daphne actually Green I don't even remember Tracy how it's described anymore. I've just turned it into Sith Kermit in my head, but no, that's good. Yeah. My only theory, my only theory on this is that Sith Kermit and Santa Claus are the same person. So okay, that's about all I got. I can dig it. We'll put that on the on the list that I'm forgetting to keep. Oh, uh, and also, I'm not entirely sure that Santa Claus isn't just actually Santa Claus because that would be funny. Yeah, I think you put in the notes that you're only eighty percent sure Santa Claus isn't really Santa. This <laughs> is just really Santa Claus. But I wasn't being I wasn't being clever. I said it's Santa Claus. Like, what are you? Yeah, I signed my name to it, man. What you? Why is everyone doing plots? <laughs> I'm just I put my name on the letter. Santa Claus doesn't trust Dumbledore. Right. All right. So then, Daph- I, I, and this one is just clearly, at least to my uh, mind, unless someone can tell me that I'm missing something, uh, just a throwaway to make it funny, where it's like, all right, this is saying that not everyone's life has been altered by this whatsoever. And it's Daphne Greengrass and Tracy Davis. And it's like, you do anything interesting today? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I thought was like, oh, maybe these are like, you know, actual people that got like a cameo in the book. But Daphne Greengrass is just way too Hogwarts a name. They're both uh, OG Hogwarts attendees. Are they really? Yeah. That's weird. Like, these random names get dropped. Uh, I mean, I'll double check on Tracy Davis. But, uh, I mean, uh, so they're both uh, first year, I think. Um, I forget what house they're in. Uh, but, wait, Greengrass. That would be, I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? We'll figure it out, I'm sure, if it's important. Um, anyway, Aftermath, Harry Potter. That's Can you believe we're only time. halfway through this chapter? Yeah. <laughs> This whole, this, so this is like the super long, this is really just like its own chapter really, but uh, it was a weird, so like Harry's like wandering up to the, the top of the uh, of the castle to just be alone, and it's this very sort of like emo, like looking out at the sunset and a, a uh, tortured metaphor about the forest and the trees. Um, but like the whole vibe to the whole thing, it was, it was very Star Wars to me, like the end of a Star Wars movie where everything's just, like there's the, the flute playing and... Um, like staring off at a pretty sunset while he ruminates. Um, but it's actually very sort of like navel gazy. Uh, do you want to expand on that for those of us who have no idea what you're talking about? Uh, the scene, I, you know, I mean, it's because it's, it's mostly him thinking. So it's that um, he, uh, what is he? I mean, I got the Star Wars reference when you said navel gazy. You just mean, oh, like, looking well, just, yeah, he's window. like, yeah, he's just looking out the window and he's just like trying to decide. Like, there's, it's not, there's no like plot. Nothing happens during all this. It's all sort of internal. Uh, Harry just thinking things over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. That, that's navel. Um, um, 
Okay, yeah, I just checked. Tracy Davis was a real character in Slytherin. Perfect. Alrighty. All right. That was worth me being t- totally distracted for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I like the whole tone of, especially, I, I guess all of it. I, 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 Harry's whole section here works for me. But like you said, at the beginning, it sets it up. He's in some quiet place. There's no one around. And he's just looking out, thinking. And this is him kind of just decompressing the... I guess this is still... Yeah, this would be the day after. So this is him just decompressing the whole thing that happened, right? And, yeah, I guess we got a bit to talk about what he figures out when he's decompressing here, so... Yeah, it's basically... Yeah, it's just kind of, like, figuring out what is he going to do next, like, in general. And his first one, he's, like... he's, And this is where, like, we get into the whole, like, blackmailing thing. Um, so he's realized he's thinking through like, okay, things are getting increasingly fucked up and weird and I should just cut my losses and confess to everything and stop the insanity. Um, and and so there's a lot of like pages of him, you know, basically bullshitting himself into, you know, talking himself out of, he sort of has that like clear thought at the beginning. He's like, okay, this has gotten too crazy. I should just like tell everybody what's going on. And then he goes to great lengths to not arrive at that conclusion. Um, and, but he does think about, like, then he gets into that, uh, it's not really a metaphor so much, but, like, um, he talks about, like, the blackmailers will get you to do one small bad thing and then get you to do increasingly worse things to cover up for the last bad thing. Um, and that's what's going on with him. And he, does, he doesn't put that in terms of Quirrell doing it to him, but that's, like, the conclusion you quickly get to is, like, yeah, this is, like, Quirrell's been driving you down this path the whole time to get you to do, you know, dumber and dumber shit. Um, oh, and, get, like, and I mean, just dancing around that thought too. Like he doesn't yeah. articulate that to himself, but that I think is, is clearly yeah. what he's thinking about. Yeah. And he's trying, yeah. And he's trying very hard to come up. Like he, he's working backwards from, I don't want to tell anybody anything. And then it's like trying to figure out how he can make, make it okay with that. And it's sort you know, of like what he lands on is, Oh, if I say anything, then Quirrell's going to go to Azkaban. And like that, that's not so okay. That can't happen. So that's a good enough reason for me not to do any of this. And I mean, as far as reasons go, that's not the worst reason in the world because he doesn't want Professor Quirrell to die. Yeah. But as far as like you mentioned, he's he's got his decision of like I really don't want to tell anybody. And then he's trying to think of how can I how can I rationalize this? There is a uh, a certain sub community or a community of people that have a word for that called bottom line reasoning. Where basically you make a you make a decision and then you so like at the you use the analogy of like writing your decision at the bottom of a piece of paper and then uh, then writing above it all the reasons why that's a good reason why why that's a good conclusion mm-hmm. Ra- rather than listing out the reasons first and then deciding what to do you just like all right well I don't want to do this or I want to do this and then you just rationalize the whole way through so like if you started with the conclusion that. Harry is a likable, good protagonist character than anybody that read the first five chapters and thought he was kind of an arrogant dick must just be stupid. Uh, yeah, that's a perfect example. <laughs> that, that's bottom line thinking right there. There you go. And and you've heard it here. You've heard it first here, folks. <laughs> but no, I mean, and I just to briefly touch that point with some with a touch of seriousness that like uh, it. I, I would hope that anybody, even the ones of us who loved Harry from the, the beginning of the first chapter, can at least readily acknowledge that he is not easy to sell to people who don't already love him in the first ten chapters. 
Like, yeah, and I, th- I mean, yeah, it's I, I, because I, I, like I haven't met many people acknowledging who, that, and I like for my so it's a legit shortcoming of the book that it's not a, you know, it's not a a death sentence to the book, um, but. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be a perfect book. And so it's going to have shortcomings, but like, it seems like that that's like, oh, it's another, it's one of these other people that's saying that they don't like Harry. It's like, well, there's a reason that that keeps being a recurring theme, um, maybe because it's actually a thing. Um, yeah. And didn't like you said, like somebody wrote a different version of the first five chapters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you what? That should be a hint. Well, I think it was also because they have a distinctly different tone. So, like, they don't yeah. change how, how Harry is or who he is. Yeah. It's just, like, it does more of the, like, laying stuff out. Like, it shows them going down to get his money. It shows his mom dropping him off at Diagon Alley and, like, has this thing where she can't see the uh, leaky cauldron. It, it's, yeah. it's not so much, like, a, a retcon to make it, like, uh, more palatable, although it might be. It's also... I think just a, a way to make it feel more like the rest of the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I, think it, I mean, the, the if big... you get bored, want to reread the first couple chapters, you'd be like, Oh yeah, the, the later book is written way better. Like the author just got better at this. Yeah. And I think like the, because I, what I had heard the most was like, Oh, well, I mean, yes, he's an arrogant dick. I mean, he's supposed to be that and he changes later. And those are, and those are all valid, but there's a, like the, and it is like just a an opinion or a like where do you think the right place is to land on a spectrum? But you have to sort of like people have to trust that you don't need to like a character either right away or or at all in the beginning. But you have to sort of like trust the story that okay, this is going to go someplace that people are going to be interested in in reading or like okay, not likable now, but will be likable or somebody will be likable. And I think in the beginning, like it's not done. It, there isn't enough of a of a of a hint that like don't worry this is going a place that you're going to like you're kind of like oh is this just like oh maybe this guy's just an asshole like maybe i'm just reading a book written by an asshole um i think that's a totally legitimate concern uh, and probably a not uncommon takeaway yeah well um, it sounds like it's a very common takeaway and that like that's a, and so it's like yeah it's like just a, i mean it's not a death sentence to the book or anything um but but yeah i mean it's uh and i think it and it's and actually probably too bad because it it um it like it is a really weak beginning that it comes out of slowly um and so probably a lot of you know people get turned off by that right away and that's the thing i think i mean it's not um not the but I, it, like it's a legitimate thing for people to get turned off by um but luckily you were committed to keeping going committed. so yeah you if, know, I honestly, sing, I don't, if i just sent I don't, you this like, book we, i don't so know I'm if you like, kept going i'm like liking that we're that we're like having gone through that now i'm liking the book just like just as a liking the book, but like, and then this whole process is fun, but yeah, I don't know if it was like, if somebody had just like recommended it to me and I were reading it, I could, I'm not, I'm not sure where I would have like, so yeah, there's, it wouldn't be at all unlikely to be like, I oh, just fuck this guy. He's an asshole. Um, I guess it depends. The, the other thing though, is like, as we, we were reading it very slowly. So it took like, you know, we went through that asshole period over a period of weeks, which, you know, if you were just reading, it would have just been an hour or two of reading. And so you could have just like powered through that. Um, that's a good point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so Harry's thinking about how he's, you know, he doesn't mind being like, he, he, li- he likes Hogwarts just fine. But like the idea of being told and now you can't leave. He's like, well, I wasn't planning on it. But yeah. now that I can't like kind of fuck that. But then he's thinking about, uh, you know, the scarcity effects. And he has that great, the great uh, example from Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, Science and Practice, about phosphate detergents which i won't rehash because it'd take me <laughs> 90 seconds to read but um 
people short version people go stupid in the head when you tell them you can't have i mean hell look at the store now and and try and buy lysol wipes right mm-hmm. um when when people are told oh or even they suspect that this will be hard to get soon they're like well now i need a bunch and granted there's legitimate reason to want lysol wipes now where there wasn't one to have phosphate detergents and i if memory serves me i think that was a county in florida but maybe it just sounds like a florida thing uh, <laughs> In any case, uh, yeah, so Harry, Harry reasons slash rationalizes that the reason that he's not coming forward about this is that uh, it's it's not just his life that's at stake. It's it's uh, Professor Quirrell would die. I also really like this line, too, where um, he says, it wasn't just Harry's freedom at stake. The headmaster of Hogwarts, the chief warlock of the Wizengamot, the supreme mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards, was quietly sounding the alarm. A false alarm, a false alarm which Harry had triggered, and so like he yeah. he's seeing the magnitude, and he's like, okay, I didn't realize it's that people think that this is the beginning of a fucking war. Yeah, and I had seen like when he so he does that whole thing about like grass always greener. He had some rationalisty name for it. Um, scarcity effects isn't scarcity, a rationalist yeah. term for it. That's the psychological. That's the the term in the literature, uh, or like in this in psycho in uh, social psychology. Yeah, I'm, I'm lumping anything with the word bias or effect or uh, those are all you people. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. A lot of these, a lot the, of the stuff the, came out before. It's like, it's like Mad Libs. Before. It's like insert noun here, bias. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we didn't invent biases. Like shit, we just, just like them. Give you shit. No, you invented the fascination with it. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, so what, how this read to me, I don't know if like the intent at all, but um, is that like Harry is so just overwhelmed and drained, like he's like this shit is just too much for him that he's like retreating into his safe little neurotic habits of mansplaining shit to himself, of like because that like is comforting to him. So he's talking to himself about scarcity effects, and then he like goes through the whole like Milgram experiment thing, and that these are sort of like, like these are soothing things to Harry because they like help him make sense of his world. Um, yeah, it's and then like, he also like when, uses when he's them to, in. Like, kind of navigate what he wants to do but that like like he needs to like restore these little bits of certainty into his universe yeah when, when he's in duress he looks back on all like the the science slash cognitive science that he knows yeah and i think and we've seen him do yeah. this before yeah uh, and it's both like it helps him like understand like like as a practical thing like understand what's going on with him but it's also i think just like that behavior is comforting to him because it makes him feel like like he's got a handle on things i totally agree um like uh, and it's brief aside, and it's getting late, but I'll be I'll be brief. And I think it was the second chapter where I think it's the worst line in the book when he sees McGonagall turn into a cat, and he starts spewing about faster than light signaling and quantum oh, yeah. Hamiltonian. And, um, <laughs> so, like I think, like I said back when we did that, I think the charitable reading of that whole spiel of his is him freaking out and then trying to make sense of it and prove to himself that he's not an idiot. So he's like, okay, hold on, I understand all these things, and I'm freaked out, and okay, I'm, I'm just trying to put all these things together in my box of how I understand the world to work, but now I see that world contains magic, and nothing makes sense, and there are no rules, and oh my god. Yeah. So like that, that whole panic is what caused him to, to yeah. word vomit all that stuff. Uh, and I think, and that same like, just kind of freaked out need for stability is I think how he like started in his whole, um, his much longer speech to himself about the Milgram experiment. And that's where, but it sort of like then morphs into like the actual content of what he thinks about that is then how he sort of digests what's going on and what he decides to do. 
Yeah. So like starts and out as just sort of like the nervous tick, but then turns into like, you know, how he actually makes a decision. Yeah, it, it kind of grounds him. And then he's like, all right, now that I've, I've calmed myself down, it's it's like his version of taking a deep breath and counting to 10 or something, uh, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's uh, it's a more useful version of that. There was another part that I really liked um, that I'm surprised he didn't grab the quote for. I, I don't see it in, in the notes anyway, where it's like uh, he's, he's thinking... Um, Okay, well, we should have remembered our... Oh, wait. I come back from um, lunch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but then, I did pull that, yeah. Because he was like, oh, and I just wish... He's just sort of like idly beating himself up. That like, He's like, oh, I had the great line about... But I promised Hermione I'd come back from lunch, and I never used it. Like, he was in an action movie, and he forgot his, his buzzword line. I think this is, like, again, part of him uh, processing and, and decompressing his trauma yeah. of, like... Oh man, remember when this was an action movie? I should have totally fucking said that. That'd have been so good. And now I'll never get a chance to say it again because now I'll feel like I'm forcing myself to say it. Um, and then he's like, "And why did we decide to do that again uh, before going to Azkaban?" And then his Hufflepuff sides, his Hufflepuff size says, "God, that was hard to say." Um, My working hypothesis is that you're stupid. And then Harry <laughs> thinks back to it. That is not a useful fault analysis. And then Hufflepuff says, oh, if you want a little more detail, the defense professor of Hogwarts is all like, let's go get Bellatrix Black out of Azkaban. And you were like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he does say that as he just kind of like fell into this kind of knee jerk, like, oh, that's an adventure and a quest and you should go on it. Or your, your, uh, your teacher who you admire is just going to walk away from you in disgust. And is it, is it right here doing this same thought that he sort of, has that thing about like oh I have a mentor now I ever had I think that he has later. So I, think I think he has the mentor thing in this section. Um, yeah, it's in this, this section, it's in this but it's, I think it's maybe book. he has some other thoughts first. I don't think they. Could yeah, it, it's further down a little bit. Yeah. But um, I just I liked his his summary of like well, Quirrell was like let's go do this and you're like Hordor okay, and mm-hmm. like that was I mean yeah, from a bird's eye view that's what it looks like and that's kind of what we called him out on and he's yeah. not above realizing that in hindsight yeah, he does, which is, he does you know, get a little he gets actually a, a little like, like seriously introspective about it to figure out like what what was he doing I mean it does bother me from the like oh I wasn't very rational um, during that point but he does at least it's sort of like kind of in a humble way go like oh really you just did that because it seemed like the thing to do yeah absolutely yeah. and it's like you said um, he has like this uh this, uh, I don't know what you call it. He, this is all thinking inside his head, but he's like, no, I. It really, I. What? 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 Ha- why did I do it? Really? Because I've been too embarrassed to pull out a piece of paper and start calculating expected utilities. Yeah. Like I'd been, I was too worried that if I'd stopped or hesitated to answer too quickly, that Quirrell would stop respecting me. And then he's then back in his like story mode thinking. He's thinking that somewhere deep inside him, that if your mysterious teacher offered you the first mission, the first chance, the call to adventure, and you said no, then a mysterious teacher walks away from you in disgust and he never got another chance to be a hero. And he's like, yeah, yeah. that had been it. In retrospect, that was it. He had gone from, and started thinking his life had a plot and that this was a plot twist. And as opposed to say, or as opposed to, oh, say, here's a proposal to break Bellatrix Black out of Azkaban. <laughs> And he's just like, oh yeah, no story, and he, and that's how he observed his thoughts when it was amping up to it. Yeah. He's like, all right, a dungeon to pierce, a maiden to rescue, and he's not. Oh, thinking. Yeah, when, he, when he thought that, uh, um, he's like, oh, you want me to join your secret society to overthrow the evil government? I'm in. Like he immediately thought it was like some kind of cool adventure story. And yeah, he's like exactly. Disappointed that it wasn't, but then it kind of was, so that's cool. 
Yeah, so he's he. That was his whole real reasoning was that no, I was thinking my life was a story, and I don't want my mentor to think I was being a wimp or you know, being not heroic by deliberating, because that's not that's not what you know you do when you're presented with a quest. You don't sit there and well, hold on, let me think of all the fallout. You're just like no, you you do the thing, man. Do the thing, and then later that then he doesn't like tie it in. He he more. Uh, thinks about it in terms of why is he sad but he does articulate like how much uh, it's it's about Quarrel it's not just the adventure it's about he was the, like wanting the approval of Quarrel or really just wanting Quarrel around and he let, like he talks about that more as like Quarrel's the only one capable of being his mentor because there's other people that are better at him than other things but Quarrel is better at being Harry than he is which is so horcruxy of him but um but yeah but like that's the main thing that like that's the one thing that quarrel is to him that nobody else can be is he's more hairy than harry yeah and i and i like that way that he phrases it that there was no one that uh was higher than him in his own domain his own domain of expertise yeah where like uh you know dumbledore um is is powerful and that's admirable uh, Professor McGonagall and Hermione and Draco all know things that he doesn't know, and he can learn from them and be surprised by what they know. But Quirrell was like the sane one, and <laughs> which is totally funny that he puts it that way, right? <laughs> like I think he says at some point, like everyone else starts playing Quidditch or something, right? Oh. And so he's he's just like, no, Quirrell is the one that, like, when I complain that things aren't making enough sense, he's like, totally, man. And let me explain to you all the ten ways that you know it doesn't make sense. And he's like, oh my god, I only thought of five. And it's it, it's a bit of, it, I mean it's totally hero worship, yeah. but it's it's like almost justified. Like I mean I don't know. Imagine being a, an aspiring martial artist and thinking that you hey I've gotten pretty good. I can beat everyone in my dojo. And then you you go on to a, a more advanced one and you see somebody just wipe the floor with somebody who's better than you are at it. And you're like oh my god that guy I got to get on his side yeah. so he can teach me how to be like that good. Um, yeah, I wonder why like, it's such such a weird like mind fuck on like on Quirrell. So, so Quirrell is Voldemort, and then you got to assume that Quirrell knows that Harry is him. Like Quirrell is like Harry is his own little vessel for his soul or something. So he knows that if if Quirrell knows that Harry is him and that they're basically the same person, then he knows exactly how to fuck with Harry's head because it's his own head, and so that's like the extent like the power. Like the reason, the extent to which Harry is like willing to, you know, completely overlook all the huge red flags is because all the exact right buttons are being pushed. All I can say is that the the view from the top of the ladder of paranoia is, is, <laughs> is serving you very well. Mad Eye would be proud. Yes. Yeah. No, and then that makes me think, like, okay, if like if I were in that situation, <laughs> you know, like you do. Um, like, does would you know enough about yourself to know how to manipulate yourself, or is that like, I'm not, I'm not even sure. It would certainly be weird to try. I feel like it depends would on you what like, version of yourself like bullshit, you're talking about. Do we have like, like if, bullshit concepts of what we are like? Like, if you thought you knew how to manipulate yourself, would it actually even work? I mean, once you started having thoughts like that, maybe not, because now, like, say, if you were to split tomorrow into two Brian's, and you're going to try and convince the other Brian to do stuff. Like the other Brian has already had had thoughts about well, what would I do if I was trying to manipulate me? Yeah. But if you got no, to go some back other Brian to, that doesn't know, yeah, especially the one thirty years ago, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess it probably would. 
it, it might not be that hard. Mm. Although I, I might struggle if I look back 15 years. Like I don't know if I can relate to myself enough. Yeah. As a teenager, I bet you could do. I I bet you would come up like you could do something that was very like powerful. Like you would have a lot of influence, but it could be like completely wild card. Like you would lose control of it. There'd be a lot of like, oh shit, I didn't know I was going to do that. So. Hmm. Like you yeah. thought you were going to get their loyalty, but you really turned them into like some kind of psychopath or something. I'll have to give that some thought. That'll be a fun thing to put on the back burner for a few days and see what I can come up with. All right. Well, let's see here. I do like how he's trying to, like, he says, well, if if Professor Quirrell did have a flaw in his sanity, which is, again, he's he's still putting Quirrell on this huge pedestal. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, well, yeah, right, if. <laughs> but, um, it like, as far as all of the legitimate criticisms of Quirrell, like, saying, like, he, he is super competent. Mm-hmm. And not, not just powerful, but he is... Like you said, he's more, he's better at the things that Harry wants to be good at than Harry is. Mm -hmm. In addition to all the other baggage that comes with Professor Quirrell. And I mean, he nicely summarizes it by saying that if you hand Professor Quirrell a glass of water that was 90% full, he'd tell you that the 10% empty part proved that no one really cared about water. Yeah. And and this is totally what I was thinking last time we were talking about. I call him like the, it's like the Reddit troll version of like, it's just this like super easy way to be like dismissive of all things good um and it's sort of like like it's kind of explicitly saying that here yeah that's that's harry's analysis here um and it's 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 fun when the when the book kind of gets goes to the same point that you're kind of thinking about um yeah and so then he goes like goes on a a very long explanation of the of the milgram experiment stuff um and he but he then ties it back into this just kind of like glass half full metaphor about um that yeah even if you're right about like oh it's only 10 percent or only three percent or whatever that that's not nothing um and that he just sort of like identifies with the i guess he sort of sees kind of like the pointless nihilism of just like dismissing everything um and decides and hermione is the kind of the manifestation of that for him that's that's almost like what he aspires to. He aspires to be as good as Hermione, um, and that he sort of sees that, like even though it's like the shitty stuff outnumbers the good stuff, but you know that, but there is good stuff. Yeah, and there's good people, yeah. and this this is actually one of the. And I'm I'm trying to remember like every other like long winded cited example of of psycholo- psychological uh, research in the book, but without doing a head count, I feel like this is one of the best ones. Um, it does go into the bit of the, the yeah. meat and potatoes of how the Milgram experiment was done, which I did check um, is replicated uh, successfully uh, semi-frequently. I think the most recent replication that was done was in 2017 or 18. And so like of, of the, of some of the studies that are cited as part of like the canon of psychological research from the 1900s, um, if you Google or if you go to Wikipedia and type in replication crisis, you'll find a long list of, of like popularly believed things that don't really replicate and people. And so basically aren't as true as people thought they were. Mm. Um, but this, this one does seem to be true that, you know, you put on a lab coat and a stern look and you can get people to do what you tell them to do. And wasn't this what, one of the ones that they had a problem replicating it? No, I don't think so. Oh, so I, this I, one I, was I always kosher. Yeah. I thought um, it went through a period where they're like, Oh wait, no, uh, maybe I didn't do a full like autopsy on the history of it, but mm-hmm. I did look at just the um, I did Google Milgram 
uh, replication crisis and then read up on the on the replication replication crisis Wikipedia page and did a control F for Milgram and nothing came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find a study that was done. If you just do uh, Milgram experiment replication, there was another cool one done just a few years ago, um, which everyone, you know, if, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm not I'm not attached to the fact of this being true something like this is true like there there is an effect where when a, where an authority within capital a tells you to do, do tells you to do something you are very inclined to do it yeah. and, and, like, and I, the conclusion he comes to from this doesn't really rely on whether or not this specific experiment was was true Cause exactly because really, all, all he takes from it is good people can do shitty stuff and, and that's okay and there are some good people yeah. that will will rise above it and what i love about it too is because this is a part that i remember from reading about the milgram experiment back in the day was that like when when the participants would say no i might have actually seen videos of people you know hesitating to do this like the old grainy mm-hmm. black and white videos and when when they're saying you know i'm not sure if i should keep going and then the lab coat guy is the experiment requires that you continue they they get nervous they laugh they shake Mm-hmm. And what I love about that imagery is that it then he remembers Hermione saying, yeah. no, I'm not going to shoot a student. And she was doing the same thing. Yeah. This was clearly a long con that I just love the tie back to where uh, Hermione has the exact same uh, physiological reactions to saying no to an authority. She she stammers, she shakes for a minute and then she's like, I know I'm not doing it. Yeah. yeah um, and, I, and I like that, like that scene in the beginning is very like it's so definitely the same phenomenon, but it wasn't put in that. It wasn't framed that way. I've used that phrase too much today, but um, that like we weren't being fed that as a as like an example of the Milgram experiment, but it totally was. And now we get to see like how that, and so then we get the this like in our face thing about it being called that these last what ten chapters, um, but then we get to see like oh like this has been this has been part of the story the whole time. Yeah, um, I think the the part that, like, it, I think it had this name, like, so Harry thinks about, like, it's not about the um, the experiment itself, which, if you Google, if you go check the Wikipedia page for uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, or check out the Skeptoid post on it, skeptoid.com, and then search there for uh, uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, you'll see that it's the most garbage bullshit pseudoscientific thing that ever made it to paper um so the point the point isn't that uh that 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 harry draws from this and of azkaban in the story isn't because like oh look it's like how the the uh the Stanford prison experiment it's it's the other side of it it's like wait how did society allow this to happen what is going on with the world where these sorts of things happen not just again the experiment is the the metaphor for it but it's like why is the world full of evil and full of good people is Quirrell right? Can they're like, are there not good people, and that's why the world has evil in it? Yeah. Um, and I think like that was the kind of the the salient part of the of why the Stanford Prison Experiment was relevant because it was again that's that like oh people that are otherwise good can become shitty um, easily, um, and it kind of like and you, he could have used like we could have swapped these around, and he could be thinking right now about the Stanford Prison Experiment and that part of it, and it would be okay that the experiment was bullshit because like the part that he's paying attention to is like sort of just easily i mean that's that's a true you don't need like experimental verification that good people do shitty stuff yeah and it it says something about i guess at least the the interpretation that we got of this in the story that like the guards at azkaban didn't love their jobs 
you know, they weren't there kicking prisoners and yeah. splashing with water and being dicks. Like they hated being there. They're there for the double pay and they needed the money, you know, yeah. um, or might've been triple pay. I forget, but whatever it is, it's a lot. So, uh, like they, they were just there because it was a job that said, it's hard to imagine like Hermione would ever take a job as prison guard at Azkaban. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're not the most morally upstanding people, uh, that the wizarding world has to offer, but they're just, they're just regular people just doing regular stuff. Um, yeah, the, the whole, uh, Zimbardo, the guy behind the Stanford prison experiment, like his whole thing was proving that bad environments makes people bad. And that's a big red flag to anybody when you hear that somebody has spent their entire professional career trying to prove one thing because uh, it, it, it seems to imply that they're doing bottom line reasoning, right? Yeah. Where, where, Mil- where Milgram, uh, where Zimbardo, Zimbardo wrote, bad environments make bad people. And now he's just trying to prove that rather than looking at the world and seeing what happens, he's trying to prove his conclusion. And that's, that's science backwards. Um, including social science, which is squishier than, than real science. I say that as somebody with a, a psychology degree that like it's, and that's the, I'm not flexing my degree, but I'm saying that like, I can say that, you know, this is not hard science, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't matter it, as, as not hard as it is, it, it, you can still do it really shitty. And Zimbardo's a really shitty uh, social and psychological scientist. <laughs> um, that was a joke I heard that uh, if the, if the, area of study has to have the word science in it that's how you know it's not science hmm computer science science? computer science social science cognitive science what are the other sciences uh i mean like the there's physics and chemistry and astronomy i don't Don't know evolutionary science science sounds like a science uh but no see that one's totally like evolutionary that's very like squishy (laughs) thinking like evolutionary not like the theory of evolution but uh well, we'll 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 leave that as an aside. Yeah, it's running yeah, too late. It's, for it's us just to, a snarky little to think of every blah, blah. thing with the word science in it. But uh, that is a funny thing, and I'll 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 consider that as well. Christian uh, science, uh, trolling, nailed it. Um, I mean, that's just like them trying to put on a lab coat exactly. and pretend like they're part of the same literary genre as real science, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're getting too far afield for this late in the night. We're we're cl- we're coming in on three hours, hours, so. Um, Let's see. Slam the plane. Let's yeah. Let's Slam keep rolling. Plane. So he's he's thinking about how you know Hermione is the exemplar of what it's and he keeps tying it back to the Milgram experiment again. I th- I think as we kind of established because that's where he's grounding himself and his yeah. knowledge of these things. But like Hermione is the the symbol of the kind of person who would hide Holocaust uh, refugees. You know like. Yeah. And the thing is, like, she's not alone. There were people who actually did that. So he, he's relating it to the real world now. Like, there are people who do good things. And so how, how does that fit into Professor Quirrell's, like, everyone's really evil on the inside? Um, I have, I imagine Professor Quirrell would say, well, it's so they could tell people they did it later and show how good they were and, you know, get laid. Um, I, I don't know if the risk is, uh, like, since people actually did that, is worth it. Um you know, if you were well, just yeah, doing like, it. Because, like, where we head, I think there's been more than a couple times where, like, Quirrell is a fascist. Like, the, the link from Nazi to Quirrell is not a big stretch. Um, and that, like, and Quirrell's solution to uh, everybody sucks is, like, he doesn't articulate it often, but it's kind of, so we'll kill all the muggles. Like, that's his his solution to that problem. Before they kill us. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
preemptive strikes are tight. Okay, it's clearly getting late if I'm making jokes. So, let's see. Um, he, I, I, I know we're getting a little lost. Sorry for the rambling here, but we've been at this a while. So, let me try and, and ground ourselves here, and we'll look at like explicit stuff here. So, like, so, like, so when uh, I did actually pull the quote we were talking about um, about the mentor thing. Uh, it's, so he's talking about like why is he sad for having that he's lost that like trust relationship like Quirrell's basically so betrayed him that he doesn't have that relationship anymore and why is he sad about it he said they did not excel above Harry within his own sphere of power such genius as they possessed was not like his genius and his genius was not like theirs he might look upon them as peers but not look up to them as his superiors none of them had been none of them could ever be Harry's mentor um which was so like that was, but also like the whole like that whole vibe to it was then that whole like you know, daddy element to it. Which I mean, so I think that was like legit. The bondagey part of it was this like weird fascination with like the authority, the hyper competent authority figure that's so much better than you, and you could just sort of like surrender yourself to their will, uh, and that's kind of what Quirrell has been to him. Yeah, I think that's one way to take it. I mean, I think you could subtract all of the like. Even if uh, Harry had come across a pupil, you know, say Harry was, you know, in his 30s and found a student that was like somehow amazingly good at this, you'd imagine that he'd want to learn from that student, right? Like, it, I don't think it's necessarily about Quirrell being higher than him on the authority ladder. It's it's about him being better than him at all the stuff he likes. No, yeah. Well, I'm yeah, I'm not thinking of it as so much like not as authority, but as just the um, the fact that he is better than yeah, he is. A, I mean, it does have a weird, like, bondage part of it, though, because because Harry is constantly feeling grandiosely superior to everyone around him. Quirrell is the only one that doesn't make him feel that way, and so he sort of like is very like in an infantilizing kind of way, enjoying feeling weaker than Quirrell, because hmm. um, Quirrell's the only one that may, that feels more powerful than Harry. And like, totally, I, so, and that like totally sounds like bondagey stuff. So like, take that part of it out of it. But that that like that's kind of the nature of the dynamic there. That um, like that's the only person that is like like the way I said like more hairy than Harry. Yeah, I think there's a way to get there. And I, I maybe I'm just reluctant to indulge the bondagey part. And I, I know that you use <laughs> yeah, that I mean, as, not, a, yeah, as not a placeholder. That, part, that that weird but, like that neurotic like and unhealthy power dynamic thing. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just trying to rationalize it, or maybe uh, I I don't know. I I think there's a way to get there without the without the power dynamic thing. Like I think what it what it could be is like you're right. Harry grandiosely sees himself as this you know amazing hyper competent demigod basically, mm-hmm. and what it really is is like no, uh, like so so Harry imagines himself that way. And then he's, he meets somebody who actually is that way. Like, so Harry walks around pretending like he's, you know, all this hot stuff. And then he's like, uh, he, he sees somebody who really is that powerful. He really is that smart. And he's just like, oh, damn, that's, that's what it's like to really be as badass as I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wonder if like, that's, that's what Quirrell, how Quirrell knows how to manipulate Harry is that if he can just, which then like, and so it would totally fit if this was all like a smokescreen from Quirrell and that he was, you know, pretending to be, you know, more powerful than he really is, or at least like doing it for effect to emphasize that for Harry. Like he, Quirrell knows that that's what will be super appealing to Harry is that if he appears hyper competent, 
that that will be what you know Harry wants because I think like that's part like you know I don't completely understand it but like because you said like oh what if it was a student and then Harry saw that what do you want to learn from him like I think part of whatever this appeal is has to do with like that other person being better than him like that's part of the appeal yeah but like it could be a peer like maybe I don't know at least for me no I don't think it would be like or if it was like he would stop seeing that person as a peer like part of whatever this appeal is is for him to sort of like surrender himself to some superior power like that's part of the the vibe to it okay i mean i i see where you're coming from i mean because yeah because he sort of like looks in awe at coral it's not like oh this is an interesting source of information it's more like oh like let me just sort of you know admire your power yeah no i i'm more on board than i was before i'm not 100 percent, but i totally see where you're coming from (laughs) and I, i like it a lot I will jump back to uh, the other part before we move on with the Quirrell stuff where he's he's thinking back to when he asks him, like, how many different people are you anyway? Yeah. And he says, I cannot say that I've bothered keeping count. And then he's got this really di- you know disturbing thought to himself that he couldn't help but wonder whether Professor Quirrell was just one more name on the list, just one more person that he had been turned into, made up in the service of, of some unguessable goal. And... So he's trying to think, like, that's how I lost Professor Quirrell. Yeah. It wasn't Devonica Davra. It wasn't, like, him being super selfish or him being an asshole or whatever. It was, like, I'm not sure that he is who he says he is. Yeah. And it, it, I had this, this, my first thought when he said that, like, the best way to, you know, appeal to Harry would be to appear to be hyper-competent. And the easiest way to appear to be hyper-competent would be to actually be hyper-competent. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in lieu of that, like... Or you can pretend to be somebody who is. And is that just what's happening here? And so that's yeah. why he feels so lonely and so hurt by this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the line he says uh, later. So in uh, in reference to the, like, oh, he's so many different people and none of them are real. Uh, Harry says, there ought to always be one real person who you truly were at the center of everything. And so that's kind of, like, the core of, like, that's what, like, ripped the guts out of what he thought of quarrel is that well okay maybe none of that's actually real and that also like stuck out again as like the whole like oh i don't know who i am because i am a walking horcrux there ought to always be one real person who you truly were um i'm loving this uh yeah. it's now that i'm saying it's got like a it's got a cool like phil dick kind of thing of i don't know who i am um, right on so yeah, cool. well i'm curious uh to keep going with it but um you did pull out the quote where like so at the end of their little warehouse argument discussion thing he asks him why am i different from the other children my age and now we finally get what he says about that yeah uh this is a long one i'll read it um i will say this much mr potter you are already an aquamans and i think you will become a perfect aquamans before long identity does not mean to such as us what it means to other people anyone we can imagine we can be and the true difference about you mr potter is that you have an unusually good imagination a playwright must contain his characters he must be larger than them in order to enact them within his mind. To an actor or spy or politician, the limit of his own diameter is the limit of who he can pretend to be, the limit of which face he may wear as a mask. But for such as you and I, anyone we can imagine, we can be, in reality and not pretense. While you imagined yourself a child, Mr. Potter, you were a child. Yet there are other existences you could support, larger existences if you wished. Why are you so free and so great in your circumference? when other children your age are small and constrained? Why can you imagine and become selves more adult than a mere child of a playwright should be able to compose 
That I do not know, and I must not say what I guess. But you have, Mr. Potter. What? But what you have, Mr. Potter, is freedom. As I'm reading it again, there's a lot of. I wonder what the circle imagery is about. I'm not sure about that exactly, but I do like the line that he says: "A playwright must contain his characters. He must be larger than them in order to enact them within his mind." Which I feel like is the. I I mean that is the, that is the author saying uh-huh. you have to contain your characters you know th- since he's not going to say when you're writing a book because that would be almost too fourth wally he says mm-hmm. a playwright must contain his characters and so that, what I like about that is that you know we've talked before like whether or not you know is Yudkowsky more like Harry is he more like Quirrell is he more like Hermione is he more like McGonagall um, in in some things. in some sense the author has to be able to encompass all of their characters right. Yeah. if they're going to be fully fleshed out. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and but, I liked about this, like it really does go back to that whole, like, you know, weird doing identity does not mean to such as us, what it means to other people. Like <clears throat> they are many people. Yeah. It's, uh, I, it's, I can see. And that's where he has the line after that, where he says, there ought to be one real person who you truly were at the center of everything. And then he looks at the, you know, the falling night, the gathering darkness, and he says, right? Um, I, I like that a lot. And like the, and like you said, that's the identity crisis, and I don't know who Phil Dick is, but... Um, <laughs> Phil Dick. He wrote, uh, uh, Do Android Dreams of Electric Sheep? Oh, yeah, you mentioned that before. Yeah. I knew I recognized the name. Yeah, you did. And uh, he wrote uh, Total Recall. He didn't write it. He wrote the short story that Total Recall was based on. Okay. And Screamers, and... Well, I did see the 1980s Total Recall, so... Uh, I, I know, darkly. I now know everything I need to know about Phil Dick as a person and an author. <laughs> like practically, <laughs> so like every single Phil Dick book, the, the underlying story is either I don't know who I am or I don't know what reality is. Nice. That so. sounds tight. I'll have to read one of these. Maybe I'll read the short story uh, Total Recall. Uh, I did yeah, like the movie, it? though. Uh, I haven't we, seen it, but or I haven't uh, seen it in the last 10 years, but I imagine it still stands up. No, the story's pretty good. Yeah, they're, they're pretty, that one's pretty good. It's, uh, we will remember it for you wholesale. That's the name of that story. Okay. I will make so a note of that. It's, a guy, it's about a guy who buys a vacation to Mars. And by buys a vacation, he buys the memory of having taken a vacation to Mars. I saw the movie. Is that how it, like that one? Because it's not quite the same. Like he, like Schwarzenegger's like a secret agent, something, something. And that's not. No, that's story, what he but, thinks. All right. Well, we're yeah, spoiling not actually 30 year old movie for everybody, but that's, yeah, exactly, that's, that's, that's what he thinks happens. Yeah. No, I, so that part's not, not uh, from the original story. I don't, he's not like some secret agent, something, something. But. No, well, in the, in the movie, they, they got to stretch it out, I guess, to be movie length. But in the movie, he imagines himself to be a hero, like saving the planet and overthrowing this corrupt thing at the memory place. Yeah. And then he wakes up in the chair. Be like, yeah. how, how'd it go? Yeah. Um, I might be misremembering the details of the ending, but that was essentially how it went. So. And Rachel from Blade Runner grew up with false memories, not knowing she's actually a replicant. Yeah, great. I haven't seen Blade Runner yet, so now it's you right. haven't seen. Oh fuck! It, I don't even know you. Nah, I mean it's been. Here, all right, here's the real reason I haven't seen it: is there are three versions of that movie, and I keep all the forgetting. Same. No, no. Like I heard one of them was the worst. Like, oh, the, it doesn't fight. No, as as the guy, I think I've seen it like literally fifty times. I'm staring at the poster across my wall from now. It's my favorite movie ever, ever, ever. See any of them? It doesn't fucking matter. Voiceover, no voiceover, unicorn, no unicorn. It doesn't really matter. All right. Well, don't worry. It's on my list. I just need to get around it's to really, it. Really, really. Right. Good. But before I can start, oh, no, the movie, sequel is really fit. good too. I was, I was exactly the kind of person that would have been disappointed by the sequel, and it was really, really good. Nice. Yeah, I heard good things about it. Yeah. All right. 
before I can watch that movie, we got to finish this chapter. So, all right, but then you watch uh, it. <laughs> we get back to a Hermione point of view, and basically Harry comes in and um, she asks, like, Harry, are you okay? And uh, he's basically like sits down at the table with her, and he's like crying into his hands and. Um, I really I like, like how he just said, I'm feeling kind of alone right now. It was just like such a raw, like plain thing to say. It was really sort of like sad and vulnerable. Yeah. And he's like, like I, I'm sorry, down. I can't talk about it. If it helps, I don't know. If, I don't know if this helps, but I'm not going to launch the Professor Quirrell anymore. And then I thought this was kind of like an adorably childish thing, but it fits Hermione perfectly. Like, so he's, he's clearly crying. He's covering his eyes and he sounds like he's crying. Mm-hmm. And rather than her, her saying, it's okay, Harry, I'm here. She says, are you crying? <laughs> Which is like the, it's okay. Don't, don't be cry. It's, it's all right. But it doesn't mean she doesn't care. It just means that she doesn't know what to do in my mind. Um, and then she's like, well, what can I do to help? And this is Hermione we know coming out. Yeah. She says, what can I do to help? And he says, something to feel normal. Something usual kids do. Like, let's play Exploding Snap. And she's like, I don't know the mm-hmm. rules. And he's like, gobstones? And she's like, I don't know. Those are boy games. Like, those things spit at you and explode. And um, he's like, well, what do people our age do? And she's like, hopscotch? Jump rope? <laughs> hopscotch. I don't know. <laughs> I, do, I read books. <laughs> I like that. I read books. She's like, oh, I'm a dork. Oh, right. Good. And then, then they share a good laugh. And um, he's like, I think that. Uh, it's that more like, I read books. Like, I'm a dork, like you. We're dorks. That's what Ex- we do. Yeah. What do we do? We go to the library. Um, I know. That's what I thought when she's like, oh, I don't know the rules of that game or whatever. I'm like, well, then you would go, like, read and find out. Just Google that shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So actually, after they do laugh, then Harry says, I guess that helped a little. Actually, I think it helped more than playing gobstones for an hour could possibly have helped. <laughs> so thanks for being you, which is the nicest thing to say to somebody. Yes. And no matter what, I am not having anyone obliviate any, everything I know about calculus. I'd sooner die. And I, I think that's him. Well, I, before I voice my thing, do you want to tackle that or? Obliviate everything he knows about calculus? That, is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh, only that, like, I don't know. Fuck all. Like, calculus was my uh, Achilles heel in college. It's because I took computers instead of calculus. Smart. And look where yeah. you are now. What are, the, what are those math degree. nerds doing with their chalkboards? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm really just jealous. Um, no, I think I think what he's saying is like what he's getting at there is like I'm not having I'm not being forced into being a child. Like he's like, all right, well, eleven year olds aren't supposed to know calculus. So I think like on his walk back from his you know reverie where he's staring out over the forest, he's thinking I could just have someone oblivious all my my stuff that makes me not a kid. But he's like, no, no, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's like, uh, I man, I like this. It, this is another just you know Harry coming back and being super genuine. He kind of gets up, and it turns out that like they he broke a quieting charm when he stood back up, and he's like, "Well, I'm a bit sleepy, so I'm going off to bed. Um, I've got some lost time to make up for." Lol. Um, <laughs> but I'll I'll be seeing you at breakfast, and then at herbology if that's all right. Not to mention it wouldn't be fair to dump all my depression on you. Good night, Hermione. Yeah, and good. then she says, "Good night, Hermione." Or then she says, "Good night, Harry. Pleasant dreams." And then he kind of stumbles, and he's like, "Oh, great, yeah." Because yeah, yeah. then he goes to bed and has these horrible nightmares. Yeah. Um, oh wait! Before oh, he, he goes gets to bed. from Santa Claus first. That's right. Yeah. Which like, I'm more, I'm I'm getting fonder of the idea that Santa Claus is actually just Santa Claus, but, except he's probably like significant to the plot, and we wouldn't write Santa Claus into the story. You haven't reached the obvious conclusion. Uh, what that it's well, my other one is that it's him, 
that ah. Santa Claus and Sith Kermit are all hairy from the future. So there's some <laughs> kind of travel, something, or time travel, something, something. I like all those too. No, I think the real answer is that Santa Claus is literally Santa Claus. That's yeah, And, well, I mean, that was your thing, but no, the next step is that, that, he, that Santa Claus is Voldemort. <laughs> I like that. What could be more Voldemorty than scaring children yes. all year that they won't get presents unless they do the right thing? <laughs> and he's got a little army of slave elves. I mean, all the pieces the, are there, man. Yeah, trapped trapped in his secret fortress at the North Pole. <laughs> so he gets a note from Santa Claus that says, A little bird told me that Dumbledore has shut the door of your cage. Um, I'll try and just paraphrase it. He says, Yeah, Dumbledore probably has a point, and if I was Dumbledore, I'd probably do the same thing. Uh, in any case, if just in case you do need to get out... The Salem's Institute, Salem Witches Institute in America accepts boys as well, despite the name. Um, they're good people to protect you, even from Dumbledore, if you need it. So in the final extremity, you can tear the King of Hearts. Was it the King of Hearts? It I was. I think so, yeah. From this deck of cards, and it'll take you to them, and you don't need Dumbledore's permission to emigrate to Magical America. Was the Salem Witch School in the... Uh, was it ever mentioned, or did you make it up here? I can't remember. Because I, I wonder if it, it was like part of the the uh, what is it, Fantastic Creatures part. But I like the whole like like that whole vibe seemed pretty cool. Like it have some sort of like H.P. Lovecraft thing with it. That would be a cool. I'd read that book. Salem Witch Witches Institute does have a page on the wiki here, but let's see. Uh, it's apparently from a tweet from J.K. Rowling says it isn't a school but a joke on the Women's Institute in the U.K. Um, um, Okay, well, See, that'd be, maybe that'd be dope, maybe though. a good natured joke. I don't know. That'd be like uh, like a like like Providence, Rhode Island, in which isn't Salem, but I like I like Providence better. In like eighteen eighty, that would be that would be cool. Right on. Um, like, anyway, so Harry, you know, great. All right, well, I got this, and he puts it in his pouch, and then goes to bed. Yeah. And I guess and, does this mean like like uh, Santa Claus is maybe American then? I wonder what's up with that. Of course, Santa Claus like... is American. <laughs> yeah. That's why they get the most toys. Santa Claus wearing Bermuda shorts, surfing with a machine gun. I was going to make more jokes, but I want to get through the rest of this. <laughs> um, so that, I like this line before it cuts to his dreams where it says, and then Harry lay back in his bed and closed his eyes to dream without any Phoenix, without any Phoenix to protect him and pay his reckoning. And... It's basically just him having these terrible nightmares and re- replaying that woman's voice. You know, don't go. No, please don't go. Don't take it away. Oh, and that ties back um, to his thing about, like, borrow against the future. Exactly. And so then, it based, it, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a really shitty night's sleep full of looping nightmares, but he's describing this perfectly. Uh, and then even that thing that he does kind of halfway through his, his bad dream where, like, he's not really asleep but he's kind of like still partially dreaming so you're like all right mm-hmm. i'm gonna try to rewrite the dream to make more sense and make it better i mean i i have this few times a year where like you're in like this weird twilight sleep and you're just trying to fix like stuff so it makes sense and doesn't suck like in your weird mm-hmm. dreamy state you know what i mean or is it just me no it just actually me it's Harry? like that's <laughs> like the most horrible version because then it'll be like dreamception because then you're dreaming about the fact that you're dreaming and trying to fix your dream and you like oh, forget like how many levels deep you are is like totally fucking disconcerting. So this is a good segue to a, a small anecdote. But once every couple months or so, I have sleep paralysis, and Oof, very, 
Very fortunately, the first time it happened, I had already heard of sleep paralysis. And while I couldn't remember what it was called, I like, I remember thinking, like, I, while I was there experiencing it, I remembered having the thought of like, wait, I know that this is a thing that can happen. Even if I can't, even if I can't remember what it's called, I'll just ride this out. And for the last few years, my sleep paralysis takes the same form. A lot of people like imagine like something crushing their chest. Usually, like some some of them will hallucinate like a figure on them. Mm-hmm. I don't get the tr- the crust the the chest crushiness. What I get is inception style sleep where like i will imagine waking up like struggling to wake up like i can't move and then i finally can and then i'll 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 get some distance away from the bed it's never like luckily like a whole groundhog day it's usually just a couple of minutes and then boom i'm back in bed and i'm I'm like oh shit i'm stuck here again and it it's i don't know i've never counted but it's several iterations before i actually wake up and then when i actually actually wake up there's no doubt but, but but every time that i feel like i wake up i I feel like I'm out every time. It's it's at the point now where it's almost entertaining, but it, it is still kind of annoying, and it's the opposite of restful sleep. I've uh, I read, and I think it was like a technique for like uh, lucid dreaming, but that if you get yourself during during when just your normal everyday when you're awake, that if you see any written word anywhere, um, look back at it a second later and read the word again and verify in your head that the word you're reading is the same word that you saw. And I guess that's apparently a trick Like in dream world, the, um, the word will change. And oh then yeah. That could be that. And then that can be how you can like, you're like, Oh, this is a dream. Looking at clocks is another one. Um, short math problems, the longer the math problem, the better. I don't know. Anyone who, uh, went to a coding boot camp has had this where you've done nothing but stare at code for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like as a professional, there's often breaks, uh, but when you're when you're in a boot camp, you're doing nothing but that. Then you yeah. go home and have coding dreams, and like you try and scroll up, and nothing is like it was before, yeah. and nothing makes sense, and it's just that all night. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, if anyone's interested, I'm sure there's pages on how to lucid dream. I've never had much mileage with those, but I have lucid. I have lucid dreamed to the point where I was Neo in the Matrix. It was tight. Nice. I got to like literally fly and throw things with my mind. Um, as awesomely nerdy as this sounds, summon Mjolnir to my hand. So, nice. Yeah. Was that? The, my friend that had told me about it just years ago, though. Um, so he had started, instead of it started working, but one of the times it worked, this, there's a, a brand of padlocks called Yale, and it like just says Yale, Yale on it. And so in his dream, he like looked at it, it said Yale. He looked back at it again, and the padlock said Harvard. Hmm. I'm like, oh, that's like a very dreamy way for it to change, too. Nice. Yeah, something adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, there's no Harvard locks. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, dreams. Gotcha. Yes. So for as dumb as my sleep is, sometimes I also occasionally have super awesome dreams. So, um, speaking of dreams, yeah. So speaking of dreams, Harry has some shitty ones. No, nah, then I was gonna go to Trelawney. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So final aftermath. I forgot to include this one in the notes. So good I'm catch. In the notes. Um, no, it's in my my note is only Trelawney is a thing. Yes. That's that's the entirety of the note. And what's funny is like we remember from Canon, and like she hasn't been much of a presence in this book, but we remember from that that like. She's kind of entirely a fraud, except for the fact that she yeah. had like an actual prophecy that she doesn't remember having. Right. Yeah. I think that might be a thing of prophecies. I can't remember where like yeah. they don't remember having don't them. Remember. But uh, importantly, she wakes up in a gasp of horror, and she's like, I don't know, terrified. It says she could not understand what she had seen. It was far too large for her to encompass, and still taking shape. And she could not put to words that formless shape, so she could not discharge it could not discharge it and it it could not become innocent and unknowing once more. And so like she just wakes up having had this like, I don't know, vast psychic dump of being a seer. Mm -hmm. And then 
she's like, what time is it? And I like it. Her, uh, I think her, it's like, Alexa, what time is it? Exactly. And it's a gift from Dumbledore that says, it's around two in the morning. Go back to sleep. And God, how convenient is this? She wakes up in a flop sweat. So she waves her wand and she's dry and clean and goes back to bed. Nice. And, uh, yeah, man, that'd be nice. But, uh-huh. um, it says she tried to go back to sleep and eventually, and, and eventually succeeded. Sibyl Trelawney went back to sleep. So I don't know what to read into there. And we don't have a sense of time on that either. I'm getting every impression it was the same night, but yeah. you're right. It could be any time. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, theoretically that could be a replay of the original prophecy or something. Could be, um, could be something else. Uh, it would be, um, I don't know. I, I'm reading it as like, I don't know, something serious happened and she had a seer yeah. vision about it and that's it. But like, because she couldn't articulate it, maybe like you said, because like seers don't remember their dreams or remember their, their prophecies. Maybe she had a dream prophecy and it just, you know, mind wham her and then she went back to sleep. Hmm. We don't know. But yeah. Um, we did it. We did it. This was awesome. This might be is our this new, a record. new record. I think it is. We're at what about three fifteen. Yeah. Good lord. Yep, we did it. All right. Well, it is past my bedtime, but I got a couple. Well, one quick announcement. I mentioned the doof and chill with you playing Left 4 Dead and uh, totally carrying your team. Um, I know it was hard. <laughs> um, anyway, somebody's, the other announcement. Somebody's got to take all those life packs. The what? Somebody's got to take all that first aid. Right. It's not going to use itself. Someone's got to sponge those zombies to draw them away from the group. <laughs> so, I looked delicious. Um, one bit of doof-related news is that I think I said near the beginning of the podcast that when we hit 400 patrons, we would do a fan art contest for the show, and we did hit 400 patrons, so we are going to do one. Details forthcoming. So yeah, we have 400 supporters, which is super awesome. I know, it's totally awesome. I say that snarkily, but it's like, it's it's... It's weird. It's, it's awesome. Thank you. Everybody. It's yeah. It's awesome. Um, I don't have details exactly on what we're gonna do. I know that historically, the uh, we've got Worm and Ward podcasts would uh, basically throw out a theme, take art for it. I think for like a quarter, and then they would uh, by a quarter, I mean twenty five percent of a year, and then <laughs> the community votes on it, on which one they think is the best. And then the winner gets a cash prize. I think it might be 50 bucks. I'm not sure what we're going to be doing for this one. Um, there's also the possibly legal hangup that we are like, because uh, they were dealing with uh, fan art of a web serial fiction that's public domain. Um, we're talking about Harry Potter fan art. That said, I know that there's a ton of fan art for Methods of Rationality already. So one rule I know that we can say is no resubmitting that. We will do a Google image search on it. Um, but the other thing is that I, I'm thinking, I'm not a lawyer, but we're not paying you for Harry Potter art. What we're doing is we are awarding you in a contest that happens to be Harry Potter art. So we'll can talk. We'll, we'll uh, contact our legal team and see what <laughs> if this is allowed to do for Harry Potter. But we'll do something fan art related. And I'll get back to you guys in the next episode or two. Speaking of the next episode or two, we are doing a retro with uh, Inyash Brodsky for the next one, mm-hmm. which I happen to know will be two episodes. I don't think I want to do two full weeks and have you and I take like a full two-week break from the show, but Inyash wants to do a full spoilery one and then the one with you and I, um, or you and me. So I think uh, I'll probably just air both of them 
and people will get to be happy slash pissed there's going to be like five hours of content in one week so um i will separate them i think into different posts though i don't get to hear again i know you'll have to go back and listen to all these so anyway check out next week when there will be uh two episodes basically on monday for um well i i'll I'll figure out how i want to release them there will be at least one episode a little bit huh split them a little bit Oh yeah, they'll be they'll at least at the very least be two separate entirely yeah, yeah. MP3s. No, so, I like, drop one. they'll drop one the same day. That's no fun. Yeah, so I'll, I'll think of something in the next week or so. There'll be more than one episode of We Want More, and then as far as further reading, I will announce that on the retro because I haven't read ahead yet because this was a lot to cover. So it's true. That's what I got, man. Right on. Cool. Well, I will see you back next week for our fun conversation with Eniosh. Cool. Good night, everybody. Later. See you next week.